Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yes, what's next for Team Zisu? Well, that was only part one. It's a cliffhanger. Now I'm going to go hunt down that shark, or whatever it is, and hopefully kill it. I don't know how yet. Maybe dynamite. Prepare the Virgin. This is Film Sack. Oh, sure. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Film Sack. This is Film Sack, mining the very depths of film entertainment for all mankind. I'm Scott Johnson. This is episode 367, and I'm joined by Brian. He's like one of those smart scouting dolphins done away. Mm, dumb. Oh, hi. Hi. Dear Mr. Zisu, my name is Brian, and I'm 11 and a half years old. Today, my mom took me to see her latest documentary. As you can imagine, I have questions. Most are related to Oceanic Curiosity, and others, well, nipples. I couldn't help but notice that you have nipples around the size of Tic Tacs, while others in your crew have, have the size of up to and exceeding pepperonis. Why is this? Is there an evolutionary reason behind this phenomenon? Also, my mother requests that the harlot put on a t-shirt. I assume she is talking about the guy Max now to dinner plate size. Well... I think that about covers my nipple questions. Now on to more aquatic type queries. Do fish have nipples? My mom says no. Her boyfriend says maybe. <laughs> Regards. Also, possibly your son, Brian. Now, for now, Zizu, wow. September nineteenth, nineteen eighty-three. Wow! 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 Uh, Owen Wilson. They're going to get in a lot of that here in a minute. Uh, well done. That was great. Also with us uh, and joining us, Randy, all of his parts will stop motion. Sorry. All of his parts were stop motion in this podcast. Jordan. <laughs> Aloha, Scott. Brian. Brian. Hi. Hi. Fish. Podcasting. From the snowy peaks of the Rocky Mountains to the harsh Colombian jungle and wow, all over the damn American South. People wow. wearing... Headsets package observations about 
life, and happenings. And they talk. And listeners listen. Wow. Supposedly, <laughs> Laporte and his cronies invented the idea of putting casts into the pod. But we made ours with a special frog in the pants so we could pipe in some fun. <laughs> Awkward silence. Nice. Wow. I like how you did the old ELR intro. Yeah, that was good. I haven't heard that in so long, but it immediately just started pulling my brain in two. That was amazing. Yeah. Well done. Wow. Uh, also with us, and finally, <laughs> we have we have with well, us <laughs> Brian. Wow. Don't shoot him. He's an unpaid intern, Ibit. <laughs> uh, thank you for that introduction, Scott. And now I'd like to introduce our guest director for this episode of Film Sack, Mr. Wes Anderson. Great. Um, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, before we get started here, I'm going to need a few things. Um, first, we're going to be replacing the usual background music with a three-minute loop of Sufjan, Sufjan Stevens um, singing a song where the only lyrics are la, 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 la. Um, it's a really sweet song, and the title is um, like 20 words long, but it's got a couple commas and an exclamation point. Um, Randy, I'm going to need you to slide over to your left about 11 inches so that we're perfectly balanced in frame. I know it's a podcast, but the listener can hear balance in their in their ears' mind. Um, okay, we've got two on the left, two on the right, and um, go ahead and leave some space here in the middle uh, because we're going to be adding Owen Wilson as a regular. Um, Owen, step on in here and um, don't say that three-letter word that everyone's totally expecting you to say. <laughs> oh, okay, sure. Yeah, I get that. Okay, I get that. Um, all right, and speaking of which, um, Dunwood, I'm going to need you to wear this bright orange jumpsuit. And okay, we're going to take it from the top again, but this time we're going to introduce the host silently by zooming in really close on their faces and superimposing their names on screen in 64-point future extra bold. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, the Wes Anderson formula. That's right. Oh, yeah, there's the music. There's the music. Yeah. Oops, I forgot to cue the music. No, I had it going the whole time in the back. You couldn't hear it because oh, you were talking about it. I couldn't it. hear it. Yeah. <laughs> People at home will hear it. Oh, great. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> that was awesome. Well done. It's uh, a very Wes Anderson episode of Life Aquatic. Or, uh, sorry, <laughs> Film Sack. <laughs> <laughs> the movie is Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Now, I uh, would like to make it up front known that I have seen every. Wes Anderson movie that he has ever made and loved them all. There's not one I don't like, except I hadn't seen this one. And I don't exactly remember why it got missed. I just never got around to it. I do have a, a, a weird memory in the back of my head that some review somewhere said, this isn't up to the standard we expect from the director of Bottle Rocket and Rushmore and what's the other one um, that he oh the Royal Tannenbaums mm-hmm. his third movie isn't quite what we expected rah 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 and I remember that going oh well then I'll just see this on video maybe I don't need to worry about theaters I love Wes Anderson I'm sure it'll be fine blah 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 and then I just never did I just never saw it so I would like to make two statements number one perfect record there's not a Wes Anderson movie I don't like I like them all a lot and mm-hmm, right. uh the second thing I was going to say is don't listen to reviewers. They can sometimes mess you up for 15 years. Yeah, true story. You, you can understand, though, uh, why in 2004, people coming off of having seen Royal Tenenbaums and Rushmore felt let down, right? You I, get, I get it. Sure. It's kind of like saying it's it's uh, you know what it's like. Um, uh, it, this must be what it feels like for any director where they've just come off some of their best work. Or or their, or where you thought their trajectory was, and then they come in and they do something that's a little different tonally, or or is a little less serious, or a little less, um, you know, uh, subject matters a little less, whatever. 
and they go in a different direction. And I can see why people were like, oh, th- okay, this is not where I thought we were going after Tandem Moms. This is what's moms. happening now, huh? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I get that. <laughs> I, I totally get that. I actually, I, it actually I made me realize we kind of trip into stuff like this on FilmSack all the time. Like, we watched Last Action Hero for our 100th episode, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And the, the discussion there has to be about how the reviewers, the initial reviewers, hated the movie. And it's because they were following terminator 2 and total recall you know what i'm saying and, mm-hmm. and so like they had they had expectations that this couldn't possibly live up to sure i i, I and i get that i i am happy to report though I, it's in my favorites now i really liked it yeah like a yeah. lot yeah but it's funny you say that you know the the initial um responses to this film because i remember not liking it at the time not liking it as much as the other ones mm-hmm. and watching it again last night and this morning um, had to split it in two parts because <laughs> things got crazy yesterday. But yeah, um, enjoyed it so much more than I did the first time I saw it. I mean, it's, I don't know if it was just if it's just been a while since I've seen a Wes Anderson thing because I don't think I've seen anything since Grand Budapest Hotel. And I know he's had a couple things or at least something since then. But Some that sh- was his last big film. Yeah, his, he's done a couple of shorts since then, but nothing theatrical. His next big one is this. Uh, I dog, oh, yeah, yeah. called whatever. Doesn't that look interesting? It looks so good. Oh my gosh, I freaking can't wait. I mean, I loved Fantastic Mr. Fox, so him returning to animation is super exciting on that level. But yeah, like he, mm, I'm okay. So I'm going to add to what you just said by saying, uh, I usually this isn't always true. It depends on the film sack movie, but but especially the ones I haven't seen. Sometimes it's like, oh, I've this is really grabbing me, and then there are other times where I'm like. Oh, I should check Twitter real quick while the scene is long. And, <laughs> you know, I kind of get a little distracted here or there yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I didn't have any of that here. And these are the kind of movies mm. that if you show this to like a 10 year old, they're bored out of their skull. Yeah. Don't I right, know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But my 10 year old, my 10 year old actually got up and walked out. Yeah. She was very excited at first because she was like, oh, is this about the ocean? I was like, yes, it is. Sit down, sit yeah, a spill. Yeah. And she was like five minutes in, out. Yeah, you can't. And Wes so, Anderson's not for the young. There's no way. Well, and no, I just it, I just want to acknowledge this is an R rated movie. I knew that going yes. in. I knew there was going to be a not. lot of cursing. Yeah. I just wanted to see if it opened with any bad stuff because, you know, my kid would sit there and I wanted to see how he took it in, whether he was amazed <laughs> by the bright colors or what, you know, what have you. Sure, sure. And he was out within seconds. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he turned to, he turned to, uh, you know, to the device that he was going to play some game on with before, really before the credits had finished the opening. <laughs> oh yeah. Now, now yeah, he's, us. he's killing pigs with the angry birds with gusto at this point. Cause yeah. the way, the way that that thing folds out, like any Wes Anderson movie, you, you just can't be 10 or younger. It's just not going to work for you. Right. But when you, when you're, you're older and you got a nuanced appreciation for what's happening on screen, the color choices, the way that he frames things, basically all the stuff that Ibbett was parroting in his, in his, mm-hmm. in his intro there it's astoundingly uh unique for him like to yeah, him i should yeah. say it's it's almost like a storybook like a living pop-up book mm-hmm. right that you know you're turning the page and you're getting that that again that balance between the two pages and the, con- the content is right there's bright colors it's yeah. um it's, it's what it's like yeah it is is almost explained in this movie because Bill Murray's character, Steve Zizou, uh, says that his favorite age is 11 and a half. And I think that's a reflection of what Wes Anderson feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like it's a view from an adult of what you thought your 11 and a half year old mind 
enjoyed, even though maybe it did back when he was 11 and a half. But right. today's kids at 11 and a half, eh, probably not going to appreciate it. And there's a little bit of innocence involved as well, because there's a topless lady very early on, but it's in such an innocent Nonchalant, weird way. Non, yeah. A non-sexual yeah. way, just like a, yeah, a yeah. whatever, I'm topless. This and is it how tells I, you the story immediately. Work. Her story is immediately apparent. You see her and you yeah. go, oh, she's uh, a tough cookie but doesn't care. And this is this kind of crew doesn't care. Nobody's lusting after right. her. She's yeah. just walking around. Like, you just immediately get that. And he's good at that. He's really good at illustrating that without too much trouble. But I would even go so far to say... Uh, so Wes Anderson's our age, but he's exactly our age almost. Uh, May mm. of 69, I think, because he was born. Uh, so when he was 11 and a half or 12, <clears throat> he was subjected to the same weird late 60s colorized uh, educational films. Cousteau. Like the, right. Yeah, that era of yeah. like of, of documentary. The forced wild, uh, student, wild, like the forced uh, movies, your wife uh, forced to watch as a student. Yes, <laughs> like, he, and, the and, Wild Kingdom, Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Yeah, it's as if, I always wonder. So yeah, given that Mutual of Omaha sounds like a place from Nebraska, I always right. wonder how far and wide those got. Like, mm. is it just us? Like, if somebody's listening to this from Japan or England or something, do they have no idea? I would I like, like to know. England probably shared. In that, because there's a lot of those dry think, type shows, documentaries from that era. Yeah, they had their own. Absolutely, you're right. Mm -hmm. But I think they were definitely exposed to. It. I don't know what the Japanese were watching. Doc, I can't speak to that. But I, I definitely feel like I knew some English people. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna play a little bit of this. You can see. Just give a little memory here. Doesn't it eventually go? Yeah. See, I think I think it was. Uh, I mean, it was a staple of TV we would catch after school or whatever. It was like, and uh, immediately followed by Disney's Wide World of Color or something like that, right? right. It was like, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And they were aiming it at us. I felt like it was aimed at uh, at kids more than it was adults, but it was also For like sure. serious nature stuff, like. The rabbit reproduces four times a year in the middle of the tree or whatever, and you would just sort of get into this. And uh, and and I have to think that I mean today anybody anywhere can go on YouTube and find this intro or or these references or sometimes full episodes, but they don't know to seek it out because maybe they weren't exposed to it. They don't you know they don't have any kind right. of nostalgia right. yeah, for this. They, they wouldn't know to look for it. Sure. sure, but his his eye is dead set in this this stuff. Like this is. This is it. Now he takes it further than that, and I think enhances it. And it's not just that, but like the fake little documentary portions of the movie where they're out doing stuff is dead on for that yeah. feeling that you had when it's, you were that age. That yeah, feeling. it's definitely uh, overextended, yeah. right? They, like the there's little things like the like I, I was talking about the color palette, like the where it's it's taken to a saturation degree that was not possible thirty years ago, right? Right. Right. But but yes, it's it's clear that he has this sort of old colored comic books style of seeing things mm -hmm. that he wants to come through. Really yeah. Bad. And like, he seems like he forces it to happen because how else are you getting this done? Like you just. Yeah. There's oh no way gosh. to have it uh, come across. And it's got to be deliberate. There's no way to, to accidentally make it look like this. And I wonder if he's like, um, you know, 
Like I always want what it's like to be on set with him or on location with him because <laughs> right. like Brian, Brian's intro kind of reminded me of this, but when you're out in the middle of, I don't know, wherever they were, parts of Italy filming this thing, is he a giant pain in the ass because one tree, one side of the frame has one tree more than it should and, <laughs> right. you know, like. You definitely, if you watch the extras on his films, you get the feeling that he takes a long damn time to set up a shot. Yeah. That, I believe yeah. it. I wonder, like, I wonder how long. It takes to do a Wes Anderson film uh, in relation to other films. Again, given just what they talk about in the extras, the answer is longer than planned. Yeah. They always go over <laughs> their their time frame to get shots. But, but he gets the he gets the shot. Oh, right? always gets the shot. Yeah, I mean that's it's the thing. It feels like the the patience pays off, and you and you. I don't know. It's it's an admirable thing. It's like a it's like a. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like I'll bet I'll bet the reason he's interested in his next film being another animated film the way it was with Fantastic Mr. Fox is that he gets to control that in a way that he doesn't with live action. So in that case, he and those he hires for, you know, set creation uh and all that, they get to decide those color palettes, that kind of range of of color, the and and, and literally how things are organized on screen. Like composition is completely handcrafted instead of having to deal with real life places where you can't control that, uh, or right. you have less control over that, so you have to be more picky or whatever. I'll bet. I'll bet that's why we're seeing him return to. Well, the, I, I mean, love this, dogs. This film had animation in it. Tons of animation. In I it. know, and, and I loved and, it. And, and, yeah, can, the goofy little can, sea animals and stuff were fantastic. <laughs> like at, at first, you might be a bit thrown and feel like, oh, this is off, out of place. It's taking. It's like taking the film to this imaginarium, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But once you get used to it, it actually feels like that is the that is reality. Like the this is this is not a different universe. It's just you know the the way these people see certain creatures basically mm -hmm. yeah and i loved that that was my favorite choice and it's a it's a daring one because you're right i think there i know so many people who would hate this movie like they would <laughs> yes. just sit there and watch this and go what are we doing why is this happening they need you know the eighth transformers movies to be happy the people i'm talking about <laughs> and this this to me though is delightful the minute they showed that stop motion seahorse all colored up like it was i just went Oh, that's how we're gonna do this. That's yeah. amazing, and I didn't know yeah. that was what they were gonna do. And so I looked forward to every wildlife scene with like yes, huge man. anticipation, because and it was really like neat animation. And there's a scene, you guys. I choked on whatever I was drinking. It was so funny to me when he is sitting there talking to um, uh, what's her name, Adams, uh, freaking his wife, his wife, Angelica. Angelica Houston, Angelica Houston yeah. in that room and there's a lizard on his hand and he looks yeah. down on it sees it moving in this little stop motion way and then just flicks it into the oblivion I don't know why that caught me so funny but I was laughing so hard <laughs> because he's so he's so enamored with animals you think he has this high reverence for them but then here's this thing and it's like get off yeah, you get think off. he's gonna do so, you think right. he's gonna do something gentle but he doesn't he right. does something very aggressive <laughs> I mean, he's like That's the, the worst. old joke is, you know, this animal uh, documentarian that right. kind of seems to hate animals a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's also now one of my favorite Bill Murray movies. I loved him in this. Yes. I thought he was yeah. perfectly cast. And I know he's in every Wes Anderson movie. So well, and, it's not and specifically you know. cast. Wes Anderson doesn't work with people who are conventionally attractive and good actors. He works with people who are really quirky looking. And and I, I think it I think it's a you know that choice is about how they look yeah. like more than anything like how does how does this person look when I look at them through a window mm -hmm, sure. is it is it something where you look and go 
wait, who is this? What are they? Yeah. Like, where you're constantly questioning. And, e- even when I, he even when he plays with beauty, it's interesting because like you're. I think you're 100 percent right on most of the characters, but Kate Blanchett, who is like objectively beautiful and never ages, and is an incredible actress to boot. Uh, in this, she's also, but she she is also kind of weird. You know, yeah. like she's always been a little bit well, weird. She's she's, she's given a, a funny looking haircut the mm-hmm. entire movie. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like uh, like even when even when she's like standing outside and she's wearing, uh, uh, you know, some nice clothes, they've got this ridiculous belly peeking through everything to, <laughs> right. to make sure that you you look at her and go, what? It, huh? Yeah. Like th- this yeah. weird thing. Something Every just slightly discordant person. about her. She's just something a little off, and it's mm-hmm. yeah. and it's wonderful. And I mean, Luke, uh, Owen Wilson is one of the ugliest people ever that God ever made. <laughs> and, wow. And Jeez. so, seriously, he really is. You say that in a film with Willem Dafoe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's what I was. That's what I was going to get at. Like, yeah, like Owen Wilson looks just fine because he's surrounded by all of these other people who are also funny looking, not ugly, yeah, right? Right. Just, just weird. Funny looking. Yeah. You know what I found fascinating about. Owen Wilson's introduction into the movie. I mean, when you actually when they put Bill Murray face to face with Owen Wilson, I couldn't tell because it was a profile view. I couldn't tell if they put a prosthetic or if they chose that angle because that is the angle that Bill Murray and Owen Wilson most resemble. Mm. But their noses, profile wise, are almost identical, and I couldn't tell profile, if they put yeah. a prosthetic. I, I, I think they prosthetic did. on it. Yeah, right. I think they did because when you look at when you look at their like publicity photos, their noses aren't as similar as they were in the right. right. Yeah, right. If, you, if you look straight on, don't. By the way, don't look straight on <laughs> Owen's nose. But if you do no. look straight on, I was gonna say that's that's when yeah that's when the, any similarities end is yeah. the straight on look at Owen Wilson's. Nose. No, all, all you think. I mean, I the there. I look at Owen Wilson's nose head on, and I just think. Go get that fixed. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, you know, it, he's. It's a now part looking. of him. I get it, and we all don't want. I, won't, I don't want to see Owen Wilson with a fixed nose. I don't want that. I, I don't do. want to put that out there. No. But you know, we're used to. I it mean, now. you pretty much can because that's what uh, Luke looks like. You know, give Luke <laughs> blonde yeah. hair. That's what, that's what Owen Wilson would look like if handsome. his nose was fixed. Yeah, handsome, good looking. Uh, although these days, I don't know if you've seen Luke Wilson lately. We did a little. Uh, yeah. The first time I ever saw Luke Wilson was where he played the handsome, uh, was it a doctor or something in X-Files? Uh, Scully had like a thing for him. Oh, really? Oh, really? You guys remember that? Yeah. No, I don't remember and, that. Uh, yeah, I remember him being like the handsome guy. He was a little more cut back in the day. Certainly, like if you go watch uh, uh, Bottle Rocket, the Wes Anderson's first movie when he's working with those two, they, they're both just young, spry, 20-something, good-looking dudes. Luke Wilson right. now is a little, you got a little job of the hut coming up, just a little bit. <laughs> But uh, he, he's he's but, fine. Like, I actually I actually feel like there's an exception that proves the rule in this movie, and that's uh, Robin Cohen, who only exists in in the film in the in that group of people to have her to be topless in a couple mm. of shots. Like she's not. Right. He he never figures out a reason for that character. And well, she, she's a mutinist. She, like, she's mutinied later, right? Like that's right. the thing. But that's about it. Yeah. Uh, but other than her. You have like people like Waris Aluwalia, Waris Aluwalia, Bud Court. You know these guys. They're Michael Gambon, Dumbledore too, is in this film. Oh yeah, I told that to my I told that to my kid. I'm like, that's Dumbledore. They're like, no, it's not. They head to the phones. 
These people are all in this film. Uh, God, I, didn't, uh, I didn't realize that. Yes, of course. Totally, realize. totally Dumbledore too. Yes. Yeah. You know, like their 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 big purpose is to come together in the end and be all packed together in this submarine and to all look weird. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. and like it even it's even driven into your brain by these shots of looking at individuals through windows mm-hmm. and and like I say the Waris uh, Alwalia the the camera guy yeah like these these profile pictures of him holding a camera right up against his chin like you would do that yeah. like right. just it just you know ridiculous looking yeah it's and so good there. it's so good it's is my fate I'm I mean I'm I'll say it now I'll put my flag in the ground my favorite Willem Dafoe movie of all time <laughs> oh my wow. god I loved him in this loved 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 him I found him to be adorable and interesting yeah. and ugly and weird and all the things. That Willem Dafoe is naturally, this is like his best place to do that. Like I loved it. I loved his role. Yeah, it was yes. amazing. Yeah. What about what about his John Wick role, where he's kind of like, oh, that was all John right. Wick. But that I was really that's just you. You can phone that in. That's just him talking. Yeah. You know, but, like this is him being all like the most passive aggressive, easily feeling hurt German. Uh, the underwater guy right. with a dumb hat on, going oversensitive. Yeah, how come you you picked him first? Yeah, thanks for picking me. And he turns the other way. Like his Klaus <laughs> is is delightful, and I couldn't yeah, totally. get a, couldn't yeah. get enough of it. I want completely more forget that Willem Dafoe was born in Wisconsin and has lived in Hollywood for the last thirty five right. years. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. completely. You never yeah. you never once forget that Owen Wilson is not from Kentucky. <laughs> not, one, not one time. I, yeah, that's what, a good point. What, was that? Do you? I feel like that was the biggest goof in the film. Like the biggest mistake was yeah. not holding Owen Wilson to his accent. Um, maybe right, right. I. I mean, I kind of I, I agree, but if I wouldn't put it past, and this maybe leads to another discussion about Wes Anderson's approach to things, but I think that he knew that and played that up to be weird and feel off. Yeah, I. But I like quirky, but I didn't feel quirky. It just felt wrong. I'm gonna say that was yeah my least favorite part of the movie by the way i love the movie this is my first viewing mm-hmm. of the movie oh. i loved it i loved it oh wow I, I loved it so much that i literally stopped taking show notes after about 15 minutes and said no <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna sit and enjoy this and this is probably my favorite movie we have watched on film sack not necessarily the most appropriate for film sack but definitely the most uh, it, it landed in my top 10 pretty quickly uh, easily for me too yeah maybe even top yeah. top three I mean, mm-hmm. I, I really liked it, and this is not so un, this is unusual for us. Like we don't, mm-hmm. we don't normally. In fact, we don't hunt things out for their goodness. Sometimes we know they're good, but we think they're important to talk about, like Breakfast Club or something. Um, I but, I wonder because I came, I came away from Darjeeling Limited feeling the same way. Like here I am, middle class white American. This movie is for me, mm-hmm. and then I never saw it again. Like I mm-hmm. I thought it was just the best thing ever, but then I never. I don't, you know, I haven't seen Grand Budapest Hotels twice, uh, and I remember thinking that was a wonderful film. So I, I don't know. I don't know if if, if we're, you know, if, if Wes Anderson has this kind of like uh, latent thing, like where you you come away feeling like it's the best thing ever, and then you kind of oh, move it was on. it's exhausting. I mean, to to switch gears into a Wes Anderson film, I we was talking about this pre-show. Once you're in. It affects your the rest of your day, it right? Does. Maybe even yeah. two days. You're yeah. just kind especially, of like a, go ahead. Especially when you watch the first half of a Wes Anderson film, right? Oh, yeah. Finish it the next day. Everything yeah. you look at is like, oh, I used we're going to a lacrosse game night. No, we're going to see a wonderful battle of um, 
of uh, proportions of lacrosse, of, you know, like it's, it's completely changes shape and completely becomes. Yeah, it else. is. It, he creates this thing on the edge of reality that does kind of alter what you're thinking. And I like your I like Dunaway's description that you're kind of exhausted by them, like watching mm-hmm. this movie. Uh, there, there are parts in this movie where your brain is really working overtime. And, and by that, I mean, like, um, so. All right. So early on in the movie, they have this 140 foot replica um, of this mm-hmm. of the ship. The Belafonte, by the way, oh, which is sliced right in half or, you know, it's a cross section and they have all these working rooms and everything. And, and it's but it's like watching a diorama or something. It's super yes. cool. And I thought, oh, well, that's that'll be the end of that. That's just his little description of the ship. And, and they say they spent all their money on this. And now later, I'll never see that again. And for the no. most part, when they're on the ship and the, uh, it, it's hallways and normal ship stuff and no big deal. But then there is this great scene. Where Steve's just kind of tearing through the place, yelling at people, having this argument with uh, with uh, the with uh, Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson, and they do it in the cross section thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's and so realize, it's like a, it's it's so like a stage. It's like a stage performance. They bounce back and forth. Yeah, I love that stage yeah. performance. Yeah. And they, yeah. they foot wide set that yeah. they could actually do all this stuff in. Like it's not mm-hmm. just it's not just a big funny set in a brightly lit hangar, but like. They they plumbed it so that the sauna works and all this kind of stuff. Oh my gosh, the sauna! It's so stupid. Like what a dumb ship, but so amazing. And every time the power would go out, I would smile. Not because it was frustrating, or not because I thought they were relying on that too much, but because I just loved the ship. I just loved yeah. that freaking mm-hmm. ship, the color of it. Quirky, and the, quirky oh, yeah. character, just like everything else in a Wes Anderson film. Yeah. Right? You could make you could make like a fifty bullet point list of all the things that were built into that ship. Like mm-hmm. they, they right. Took it so far and then there's like a helipad and you're like what yeah. how is there a helipad all right that doesn't that doesn't fit no it doesn't that there's a whirly bird at all or that there's yeah. this submarine that 30 people can get in uh and and go down with a sign on the front dash that says maximum six passengers right. <laughs> that's so great i mean it's just glory right. it's glorious and I, it's it, this is hard for us because we usually like to pick something apart I'm, if i had to find a negative it would be I don't know. I don't know. I've got some negatives. All right, give me your let's let's, <laughs> let's go around and talk about anything we didn't like because I'm having a hard time finding much. Uh, I I I found it jarring and take me out of the film every time there was suddenly an action sequence. It was uh it was shot and depicted very comedically, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. For, but Steve Zissou being a uh, suddenly like a James Bond badass was all wrong <laughs> you mean the I, gun like the gun uh, the pirates uh, uh yeah, scene? yeah i love it, that scene but he was so goofy about it it wasn't like yeah. um his gun control was really good <laughs> right plus he's in this aquamarine shitty uh <laughs> you know bathrobe and his underwear just underneath and and right. there and his hat still somehow the, is on like the most damage he does to anybody he shoots somebody in the neck and i'm sure he's aiming to do worse <laughs> See that but, that's what that's what makes me curious about the the who's telling the story. Right, so, the reality of it. Yeah. Right. I, yeah, I, I yeah, was too. Yeah. And there's actually a scene where you see it one way and then you realize everybody was actually something else. Like right, I, I right. forget I forget what it was. But but my my point is it it was like I kind of wish that the action sequences had, had stayed in, in universe, so to speak. Like if he had repelled the pirates by using all of these different quirks of the boat itself rather right. than just running at them shooting a gun wildly you know what i'm saying like it just 
it just felt it didn't feel like that character like he's too cool to to be cool right that's the thing about steve zisu right mm-hmm. no that, i agree right, with you know that know? he's he's yes and but i but i didn't think that that detracted from that i felt like that added to that for me because right. it was but, it was ridiculous and over the top and dumb and also those pirates and, are the worst shots of all time right but the, mu- the something with the music so right it was kind of like how jack Cousteau and those guys were all portrayed <clears throat> they those guys from that era they they would go out and go on these adventures and you're like, who is this old man? How in the world does he possibly think he can handle any type of adventure? And so they kind of a, a addressed it a little bit here. And yeah, I, it's, it's both it's both a problem, right, Randy? I, I agree with you with this. Like the look of it is kind of weird, where he's like literally just waving the gun around when he's shooting, and it's, it it feels weird. And it's like I can't tell if I'm supposed to be nervous here or. Am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be right now? Right. So I felt a little bit confused uh, with what was going I, on. And I guess, point. I guess another part of that, and it, this is not a huge complaint. This is a very minor complaint, but it's such a, uh, it's such a cast of weird characters that I didn't enjoy the parts where they're all knocked out of the action and we're just focusing on Steve Zissou, mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when they break into Hennessy's uh, tower on the sea, uh, they're all there. That you see them all. You see them all doing things. Zisu's telling them what to do. Go steal the cappuccino machine, and yeah. then you know what I'm saying. So that's great. I love that. But then when uh, ultimately when they storm the kidnappers' uh, hideout on uh, Port Al Patois, <laughs> where they like, it ultimately ends up just being Steve outside some doors shooting a gun at all the kidnappers and, and then his dynamite. friend. Yeah, and then right. dynamite. And it's like I I don't know. I want the whole cast to have things to do. It's it, I, that's just mm-hmm. it's one of those it's, things. It's much better as an ensemble comedy when you've got everybody doing something that doesn't just focus on Bill Murray's character. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I, you got a great cast of characters. We didn't even talk about Jeff Goldblum. For oh my good lord I, oh right. I, I didn't even yeah. expect him on there and when he showed up i went oh shit oh shit oh shit i love him <laughs> i love him what is this for why is he in this and he's already right. entered in 2004 he had already entered that new phase of jeff goldblum life which is the good the good jeff Goldblum. yes yeah. the one that's so ah, oh, that's yeah. so good okay. one and let's uh, let's answer your question what is what is he doing there well he's wearing a white track suit and sunglasses <laughs> he's the he's best wearing, he's actually wearing mark mother's boss glasses devo yeah, uh, really. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know custom, that. Um, custom made for Mark Mothersbaugh, according to the trivia. And without them, uh, Mark is completely blind. So, okay. really, <laughs> yeah, he's 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 just outright creeping on Angelica Houston. Right. The whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's wow. his job. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I I love him. Gosh dang, I love Angelica him. Houston played Angelica Houston. Oh yeah, she totally yeah, and she right. she shows up in the in his movies a lot. The last, well, I mean, she was in the um, the last one, uh, the, uh, the Royal Tannenbaums as well, and was great in that. Uh, she's great here, although I mean, maybe a little underused, but whatever. There's a scene where she's in the the um, observation pod thing, <laughs> where her face is like up near the window, and she can see outside. It is the weirdest looking shot, like. <laughs> Like that big, that big face she has. Just look at the little portal. It's so weird to me. I love how right. she shows up and says today so many times, though. I mean, she just yeah. shows up and it's like, here I am. 
Yeah. Now you know things are going to go right. But this because- is what's great because she could have shown up and in any other movie would have been and they would have had music and it would have seemed like, oh, this is the thing. Right. Instead, she shows up. They look at her. The camera zooms in, and the thing she says is, "Somebody, please pay the water taxi." Right. <laughs> it pans over, and there's a guy waving. Back yeah, there. like a little local waving. I loved all that kind of dialogue. Anything yeah. like that. Anytime Steve Zissou mm-hmm. is trying to talk to Kate Blanchett about his crush on her, is yeah. hilarious. He's like, "Why don't you swear like regular people?" She's like, I don't, mm-hmm. "Like that, that whole conversation." I was dying. I was dying. I don't think I've laughed this hard in a while either on a sh- movie we've done. That's the it. Thing. Was it, it felt like the film that that comedy style was the basis for all of Portlandia. Yeah, 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 right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, in fact, you know what? I think Portlandia owes a lot to Wes Anderson. Yes, you don't really I think, think about it. I think Fred Armisen yeah. needs to kick back yeah. to Wes Anderson, <laughs> or at least me- at least mention it. You know, like at least say, "Well, yeah, thanks, Wes Anderson, for all the inspiration," because it's hard to sort of deny that, but. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know what else to even say about it that's even remotely negative. I, I did like the fact that uh, there's, well, okay, give me give me some of this trivia. We'll see if any of this holds up. Uh, so during the filming, apparently Bill Murray became a certified diver logging 40 hours of diving. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but I kind of like this idea that like Keanu Reeves before him, <laughs> He, right, the uh, skydiving. Yeah, he decides he wants to make that a thing in he, his life. He did. He did say in the extras that he uh, spent a lot of time in the water, mm. and and he was really like he felt some kind of like uh, resentment toward uh, uh, Willem Dafoe, who mm. didn't have mm. to spend any time in the water. Oh, weird, right? <laughs> because I, I am Klaus. I, I some, Sorry, right? I do have something negative to say about the film, and I think it's just I don't maybe the age of the film, the I, while I did enjoy certain aspects of the, uh, the stop motion animation they kind of did, and maybe some of the CG stuff they did uh, with the animals, some of it fell pretty hard and flat in places. Like what do you mean? Uh, like Visual. the jaguar. Like visually, the jaguar shark. I don't think that really. I mean, it's two thousand four. Now it's you know two thousand eighteen. I don't really think that was impressive. And I think they could have shown it less at this point because I think we were supposed to be, you know, breathtakingly taken back by the jaguar shark. Well, the fa- I think we I, were supposed. When, sub- I, when, see, I, when I, I saw it, I didn't feel it, but I could feel it through the actors. So more of seeing the actors' reactions and less of actually seeing the shark, I think would have. See, now this is this better. is interesting. I think this actually leads to an interesting discussion. It's something Randy brought up before the show. I think that that was intentional to have it be a gaudy, badly rendered CGI almost, yeah, tiger shark. Paper mache. Yeah. Thanks. And I think Thanks, they Bond. and I think they did that in 2004. We had plenty of tech. It's not this was not a problem to make a realistic animal. So I don't think I don't they know. were aim, I don't Fish. think they were aiming for that. I think they were aiming for that everything up till now has been quaint and stop motion. This is gaudy, ugly. Uh, and also everyone in that ship is like, holy shit, he wasn't lying. That wasn't made right, up. There right. was really a tiger shark in here, and it's so over the top. It's so bad, it's good. Like, that's what I thought he was trying to do. Now, I say that, and your interpretation of it is different. Randy's comment before we started the show today was, maybe he's just so not a good filmmaker that it's come back no, around that no. he's a great filmmaker. Do you know Maybe, what I mean? No, what I said. Let me let me, yeah, let me re- restate so I get that I right. Yeah. Because you were like you were like great great filmmaker, greatest filmmaker. Like, what if he is the only one willing, the only person out there 
who's willing to make films that are so aggressively mediocre. Mm. Like, what if everyone else is shooting for the moon and missing? Right. And he's just like, no, we're going to just, you know what I'm saying? We're going right, to, right. uh, like, uh, this, this joke where you look into the camera stoically, or you look like you're looking 10,000 feet away, and I just hold it on you forever. Like, that's a joke that really only works a couple times, and mm -hmm. then the rest of the film, you don't even really notice it. Mm -hmm. Like, right. I'm just going to steer into that. I'm going to have that joke 15 times, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. No, like, aggressive like, mediocrity is a great is a great statement. But God, I, it's so hard for me to consider him mediocre because I feel like he excels at the thing that he tries to do. Uh, mediocre to me is like, you know, Michael Bay settling into a rhythm of, of well, yeah. explosion here, car chase here, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, and I agree. I, 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 I want to support you. Like, you're like, this is great. I feel that, right? Like you yeah. watch this and you feel this is great. And and I, I support you. And the reason I support you in that ar argument is because you're not going to find this anywhere else, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like you would think if this is, you know, like if this is, is easy to do, there'd be lots of movies like this, yeah. right? So you're saying like mediocre, not mediocre is in mediocre quality, but mediocre style of delivery. Yeah, like he's well, and, leaning and in. Script. Like this is, yeah. this is mm -hmm. the kind of script that, when you look at, I, I looked up the script. I was just like reading it. Like I was trying to imagine these people doing a table read, and you, and it, and no, it's like there's really not much here. There's a lot of of dialogue that you feel like, well, they I guess they've just made that up. Right. Like, right. No, I I this is I, it's funny because I this is why it's fascinating to me because I do I do like this idea that he leans so hard into these Wes Anderson isms that are really based in not mediocrity but based in deadpan approaches to things like when they're filming the crew and introducing them in, as part of the fake documentary these shots of like the guy who's going to throw the flare the safety expert he's going to throw the flare into the water it's like he stands there in fact Dunaway you made a gif of it he stands there waiting for a yeah. cue to throw it and they don't edit that they just show the whole waiting for the cue and then throwing it that rhythm that style of approach is definitely so Wes Anderson it's funny because we know that it's off but we know it's intentionally off. And so it's right. this mix of like natural, uh, crappy. Um, I don't even know how to explain I think, it. So, I think you've, I think you guys both have said, I think Ibbett said, and I think you've said it. Rhythm is where it's at in a Wes Anderson film. It's kind of like when you go to the store and you're in one speed and you're like, okay, I gotta get this, 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 and this. And then you get down an aisle where some butthole is going <laughs> two miles an hour and at first you're like mother of god i'm gonna kill you and then you kind of you kind of settle into it and you're kind of like okay this is now the speed at which i'm gonna move and yeah you, know. you it, that's a good way to look at it it's like you're yeah. you accept it and once you accept it it's glorious and and i would never yeah. say he's mediocre but i like this idea that he is aiming for those he's aiming to take mediocrity to a place we don't expect which, right. which right. like like when you get into wes anderson tropes and there's a bunch of them uh, you you realize they're all like real basic white folks middle class kind of things. <laughs> they're just put in exotic places. Like uh, the the biggest Wes Anderson trope for my money is everybody comes from a broken home. All relationships are uh, recent, and you you don't you don't know whether or not Owen Wilson is really his kid, long lost son, or not until it's revealed, and it's revealed so plainly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's every movie. Every movie he's got these 
these weird relationships that you know like <laughs> but everybody's but they're presented so differently than the rest of hollywood presents those those tropes like he does them in a way like when he comes up and says i think i'm your son and he says give me a minute goes out to the front of the thing <laughs> slow motion smoking crazy weird music that's like discordant and strange comes back and says oh thanks i just needed a minute and then Gambone yeah. coming up there and going, oh, by the way, this is uh, so-and-so who I think he might be my son. Oh, that's lovely. I mean, it's like this, this weird, <laughs> yeah. nobody yeah. behaves this way in real life. And that's right. what I like about it. But, it twists but it. But don't they, isn't there more genuine? I think people really do act like this in real life. I don't think we're used to seeing it on film. Well, I mean, that's what people I, do. You're like, where'd that person just go? Why'd they just walk away? Because conversations in movies are pretty disingenuous oh, no no I mean, no no. yeah i know i totally agree that's true but but the feeling of like um i don't know it's a combination of what you're saying and then taking it to this weird elevated st yes, state of yes. slow motion but, smoking on the point of your boat uh, right. I, I i think a, a great example of of my pursuit of the heights of mediocrity is in the scene where uh zisu realizes some dudes in the next room in some gentleman's club they're in are making fun of him he goes and listens for a minute to make them feel bad and then he goes outside they were making fun of the fact that he wears a funny little earring so he takes it off <laughs> and casts it aside yeah. but only a few feet only yeah. five feet. yeah and then will owen wilson and, gets up picks it up and brings it back to his yeah. open hand like yeah, he knew so, he was gonna so do it when owen wilson comes out right. you don't see the whole owen wilson he starts to sit down. The earring gets cast aside. He stands back up. You're not seeing the whole Owen Wilson. Right. He goes and picks it up. He brings it back. He hands it to Steve Zissou, who just accepts it back. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. none of that is a regular movie. That you, not 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 none of the color, the framing, the movement of the camera. None of it is in a regular movie. And that's what I'm that's what I'm talking about. Like that that seems like real life. Like yeah. that's exactly how you would have seen it if you had been sitting on the other curb watching. It's like a stylized mm. version of real life in a lot of ways, but yeah. but taken to the nth degree. Yeah, that's what yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like um, I don't know. It's like an exaggeration of everything, but somehow it all speaks to right. to being real. Now the part now to swing back around to the shark. I want to make this one point done away. I think that what you wanted is a more conventional film approach to that shark. What you wanted was a more you know, show us less, but show them being excited uh, that this thing happened and whatever. And don't don't be so overt about giving me a visual of the shark, which I would agree with you in any other kind of movie. What I would say here is that go that would go against type for him. That's not what I he's think about. It would go, I think it go especially if you had a really slick looking high quality cgi shark again would have taken you yeah. right out of the film like a couple well, I, of those I don't, different options yeah, yeah i don't want that that's what i was saying i don't want to see the shark i think that he has played throughout the whole movie he has played with you going okay so here is you know mediocrity here's that word again it's like okay so mm. owen wilson stands over the flag that he is that he's put together and the way they describe it and the way everybody emotionally reacts to it, you envision in your mind that it is the most, maybe the most greatest illustration you've ever seen in your life. But <laughs> right. then after Owen dies and, yeah. the, and we finally reveal what the you flag looks like. The coffin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, right. it's, it's yeah. very, it's very you you know, know mediocre. I'm. I think I'm. Uh, I like that you did said mediocre. Like it's a <laughs> mediocre. <laughs> mediocre. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Meteorca, <laughs> but I, <laughs> but yeah, you know what? Actually, visualizing a way of showing the, or of, of doing the whole leopard shark scene where 
you see the reaction on their faces. You see um, the um, uh, the guy with the camera, the guy with the video camera, looking at it, making sure to show that all right, they're capturing it on film. You see the reaction. Maybe even you see like the tail, or that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, right, right. Yeah, it would have been a better way. I to don't do know. It. Or just just I don't briefly. Know. I I, Briefly, I, one time. I think it needed by. to be. I think it needed to be illustrated in the way that that seahorse was illustrated, and by that I mean yeah. something gaudy and weird. Now they could have just not have but, the shark at all. Here's what they could have done: they could have had the front of that, uh, the entire front view of that submarine and the side views of that submarine just be a repeating leopard pattern, and just going and no Ref- actual reflective. shark. Right, reflective. Uh, look, I don't mind seeing the shark. I'm I'm arguing against the length. And the amount of shark we got to see, because the seahorse was literally maybe ten, not even ten seconds, probably. The leopard shark was on screen a lot, yeah, almost maybe yeah. maybe two minutes. Yeah, no, so, yeah, you're you not know, what, wrong. I, I mean, I what, I kind of think I, I I probably am meeting you halfway on this because I do think maybe the, it lingered a little long, and they felt like they had to have this full blown shark, and there were a few shots of it I think that were just overkill. Um, but I, the, the point is that it, I don't think he can do that scene and not show, show the shark. That's just not oh, his he's gotta, thing. He's got to show the shark. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Yeah. I just want to say, I didn't, I didn't ever understand why in this movie, some things were ridiculously animated and other things weren't. Mm. And the, the colorful seahorse is a good example. That's a, that's an actual creature. Like you can look up pictures of colorful seahorses <laughs> and you're like wow that's spectacular they should have just used a regular real one yeah yeah you know? that's what my, that's what and, that's what my fiance said yeah. when she was sitting watching movie says why don't they just use real fish this right and, well and they did that's the thing brian dunaway they did there's a long shot of bill murray sitting in front of a he's in front of a green screen but there's a window behind him with an orca playing and smiling through the that window was so good several minutes the yeah, helper such a scene stealer the helper dolphins are the most absurd <laughs> thing I've ever seen in a movie, and they were real. They got they got yeah. some dolphin trainer to strap some crap to the heads of his dolphins and swim them around and around over and over, and they got lots of footage of those helper dolphins. Why why are some things real and regular and other things animated? I don't know. Well, I cannot I explain by that. By the way, I'm not sure that is a real seahorse. I'm looking this up. They called it in the show as Crayon Seahorse. If you do a search for that, I can't find anything that says that those are real. All I find is no, references no, to this that movie. Was, those, that was definitely well. Fair. I mean, but honestly, I mean, how but, hard but would search, it be? Just to, search colorful seahorse. And yeah, how see. hard would it be to saturate film-wise a, a seahorse? How hard would there's, that be? I mean, no, no, Rand, Randy's right. There's lots of multicolored ones. None of them look that stripey or that because they were making up. They're making up names and stuff anyway. Right, so, right, I mean, right. And please. this seems nitpicky, but my my point is that the I think that the idea for them to say, you guys, anytime we're going to show an up close image of a fish or a creature or whatever we're going we're going to animate it and it's just going to mm-hmm. it's going to rub some people wrong and who cares this is awesome and mm-hmm. i so support that choice <laughs> yeah like, saying, uh, like uh, jeff goldblum's turtle at the end with the little uh, thing on his head yes the, uh, yes there's my turtle i love that, that like turtle it looks like one of my turtles <laughs> survived the which crash I, which i love because up until that point we hadn't seen really any of his love for anything oceanic because we'd all we just kind of seen him as nemesis yeah he was just yeah. like hogging all the grant the, money he's the playboy of the ocean <laughs> yeah. that's the greatest yeah. just character description ever it's kind playboy of, you know, of the ocean yeah. when you think about it they're they're kind of the uh the sea versions of the woody harrelson and bill murray characters in uh, kingpin oh right? yeah, yeah 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 they're right. both okay. 
regarded as the top of their field, but they seem like they really hate the field that they're in. Yeah, the top, yeah, yeah. The top and they're also just there's not much to admire about either of them. Like, right, not very redeeming. Yeah, and that's funny that you say that because that's another you know that's Bill Murray in the other role. Yeah, um, right. But oh my gosh, that's a great comparison. Yeah, I loved that. I loved everything about it. I loved when uh, before their ship got uh, taken by the pirates, uh, Goldblums. And he's got those giant, ridiculous uh, binocular things in his observation <laughs> space. Right. Like yeah. the little the stuff like that, that, man. The fact that everything is labeled uh, uh, Operation. Yes. What was it? It was Operation Tennessee or something, wasn't it? Tennessee. Operation Tennessee. Yeah. 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 And he's is all. That my, is that my cappuccino? Is that my cappuccino? Gavali is the cappuccino. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, yes. It was so good. Like those so, little yeah, details. We often stole it. <laughs> What, right. You know what? He, okay, here's a, here's my comparison, and, and maybe this will resonate with some people. I think that Wes Anderson movies, what I like about them are the same things I like about um, miniature, miniature uh, super high detailed sort of dollhouse style stuff. Like when you when you see, I don't know if you guys, um, how do I explain this? Like imagine uh, you know uh, a small scene uh, where everything's a tiny table with a little plate and a little food mm. on it. It's all very detailed down to the the, the, the little bone in the center of the steak that's on the tiny plate and everything's hand painted yeah. and crafted. That's how his movies feel to me. So yeah. every detail jumps out and every time I go, oh, even the, the seahorse, I was like, it wasn't just that, oh, I like this contrast or I like this look. It was, I know what that takes to do. It's a huge pain in the ass and takes forever to do. So much care taken to make a seahorse in a bag moving around. Like, I yeah. love that. Ugh. You want, after seeing this movie, you want Lego to make a... A cut in half, a cutaway diorama of the. Um, I'd buy that. Of the boat. It makes me want to, you know, pay a bill to Rand to make. Like I want, right. I want my I want, own uh, scale version of that thing with action figures in there. Oh, I would yeah. love it. I want to. I want to sue George or uh, the the uh, the guitar player Pele. Sound I want Pele good. on the. Yeah. yeah I, want, I want Pele on the on the top. Uh, Picking away at his uh, his acoustic guitar. Yeah. By the way, those some of my favorite parts with those those little. Those little cuts with him little singing vignettes, songs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah I had so to watch. Crazy. I actually watched the entire credits because of his, you know, because he was playing. So beautiful. Yeah. And also because the credits mention, and shoot, I wish I would have written it down. The credits mention the film would like to acknowledge that there is a real Steve Zizou as a practicing um, defense lawyer in New York or something. Really? No way. Yeah. I, I missed that. Which makes me wonder if. If that was like a little another little Wes Andersonism, like if there really right. isn't a Steve Zizou, but it's kind of like, all right, let me sneak one last joke in here. Yeah. Or right. if there's a guy named Steve Zizou who threatened to sue <laughs> Wes Anderson <laughs> if he didn't put that in the credits, that he's in no relation to the actual Steve Zizou. Again, it's a like who else makes credits where I I care that much to see that kind of quirk? Like right. it, that it's just it's part of this weird ass package. Oh, there's some great pictures by the way of Bill Murray. People have taken, taken it to the next degree and like painted him in his full mm -hmm. like regalia with the hat and everything, looking like some. Oh my gosh! Oh, wow, I'm surprised go. how much stuff there is. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Here's this is the actual credit, by the way. Okay. Uh, the filmmakers acknowledge that the real Steve Zizou is a prominent attorney in New York City, specializing yeah. in complex federal litigation, and there actually is a. A yeah, Wikipedia page for Steve Zizou, the jurist, which you know the American attorney, yeah. and, and he's got Steve Zizou and Associates. It's in. It's, there's a real address, a real phone number. <laughs> wild guys, stuff. Check out love the uh, the link I just put in the Discord. Oh right. Oh, yes. that is so, great. Yeah. So 
the the image of Bill Murray in his blue tracksuit with his red uh, beanie cap, um, that that has become more than the movie in terms of iconography. Like mm-hmm. in my in my yeah. opinion, like I feel like I've seen it so much mm-hmm. in the last fifteen years. It's just un- unbelievable. Same, and I'm annoyed that I never knew. Like now, I feel like I, I feel like I'm so late to the party. Uh, because I didn't see the movie in the first place, and I feel like I've missed twelve years of awesome memory. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like I could which have is, had. A- which is weird. Like when you when you think about great films, right? So like, there's five kinds. Of, there's like five properties that go into films. There's five tent poles of filmmaking. There's mm-hmm. there's acting. There's uh, sound. There's special effects. There's um, uh, uh, wardrobe and set design. And what's the other one? Uh, cinematography. So, you, you, like, Wes Anderson somehow maximizes all of those. He, he, you know, like, there's not a part of all of this where you're like, yeah, but the sound design was crap or whatever. <laughs> like, they're all, they're all at the top of the game. Yep. But you come away so remembering, so in, in touch with what Bill Murray looked like. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, it, almost like, like if, you, if you take all of those parts of making a film up to ten... I can't take it all in. I can't retain it. Yeah. If you if you guys ever were like, hey, I wonder what dad's or what Scott's dad looked like. My dad died in two thousand. <laughs> but if you ever want to know what my dad looked almost exactly like, like it's it would freak you out to see him next to each other. That's a a, a photo, a current photo, or even of this era of Bill Murray and my dad. It's indistinguishable. So <laughs> that's the other weird thing for, for this particular wow. movie or any time he shows up in movies now is. I'm immediately like, oh my gosh, it's freaking dad there with his white beard and his same nose and everything. It looks just like my dad. And he always has love- kind of, it's really weird. Right. I also love the fact that I think that, once again, I think uh, Ibit is so in touch with this movie now. He said, wow, like the most times I've ever heard <laughs> him say wow. wow. Which is this, funny because, you know, I, I even made a point in my opening to like, <laughs> I'm not going to say that three letter word that everybody's <laughs> expecting you to say. <laughs> Uh, Did Owen Wilson have uh, prosthetic ears? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> or are his ears just that that ridiculous? I have no thing? idea. He usually has all that hair down in front of him, so I don't know. Okay, Maybe I don't know. He's just this really was long. this was the it first was Wes. An- this is the first Wes Anderson movie where he wasn't the writing partner, um, and it was because his his acting career was taken off big time right around now, hmm. and um, he. So it's interesting. That he's in the movie, but he didn't help write it. It was the first collaboration with some, some new guy. I forgot his name who now still does stuff with him but um but yeah isn't that it's kind of weird because his his whole thing in the early days were oh i work with wes anderson we write movies wes directs them mm-hmm. now it's like no owen's like a bona fide you know hollywood yeah. guy who says wow a lot yep um my he has, uh he has to be there for jackie chan you know when they're uh <laughs> west and stuff for, now for all those we probably all have a favorite scene we probably all have a couple of favorite scenes but i would like to propose Oh, the, I want to talk about. Oh those. well, thank you. My, I accept my my favorite <laughs> my favorite scene, or at, at least one of them, right up there at the top is the entirety of uh, him and Kate Blanchett in a balloon. And, oh, uh, that was that was really that was really good. I loved yeah, it. Yeah. I loved it. It was it was beautiful, and the colors are insane. And there's this music playing on that weird radio that's attached to the back of the chair, and. And the music is weird, and and she's there's a point where he leans in like he thinks it's the perfect time for a kiss, and she backs off like it's the worst moment ever, and then they resume the conversation as if nothing happened, and there's just something about that entire exchange 
that I would like to just freeze frame and keep yeah, forever. And it's it's one of those moments in in movie uh, in movie watching where you go, wow! I would really love to just be in that moment. I would love to be in that scene right now. I would love to be in that environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't imagine yeah. being strapped in and floating in a hot air balloon above a ship. That would just be like the most amazing thing. Yeah. Uh, so Scott, before we get to everybody else's favorite, how about the thing that grossed you out the most? I have a guess. Did you have? Oh, um, you know what? I didn't write one down, but let's see where you're at with it. Would you? Would you pick? Uh, there's a scene where Kate Blanchett throws her gum into Owen Wilson's Owen Wilson's uh, glass. Oh, I'm, yeah, that didn't bother me. That's fine. Yeah, probably because um, she's super just, good looking. Just that, just that backwash and her spit all. <laughs> I, you know what? That's funny. In that water. Yeah. That, if I would have, uh, if I would remember that, that would have been my thing. I actually. Didn't think there was anything in this film that would gross Scott out. Was there something? Not really. I mean, there were a couple of shots when they were wearing the suits that they attacked the island in where you, uh, uh, anyone who had a wiener, it was too much too wiener. Much. Too much. Yeah, a lot of wiener uh, <laughs> silhouettes and wiener imprints and stuff like that. Outside of that, though, there's nothing. And that's the other thing is I, it never, it, it most of the time with these movies, I'm looking for these things and going, oh, there's the thing that they'll all think gross me out and I'll write it down and. I don't really hear the dialogue that's happening immediately after it, and I'm not really paying attention. But I was so riveted that I never, I never even wrote it down. So if it happened, I want that old hotel. I'll tell you that. I want to go. Oh, that was fantastic! Visually, visually, my favorite scene in the movie has to be. I don't know if it's because all my emotions were flowing at that time, but when Angelica Houston is laying down in the front of the uh, in front of the ship down at the bottom, Mm -hmm. and she just watches the flag, is it? As it floats oh, down, yeah, watches uh, the, the Owen Wilson's coffin, yeah, yeah, which that which is hits me. Mm-hmm. Well, it it hits you, but uh, the, this is the problem with Wes Anderson movies. So, you spent the whole movie have, with these absurd things to make fun of, and then you finally get to the emotional climax, which is Steve Zissou, who has been on the brink of ruin for who knows how long and has lost everything, is fi- is getting his victory. This crowd of people are watching this part two film and they get to the end and they give him a standing ovation and he's sitting outside he's not even present for it it's an empty chair and he's sitting outside and you're supposed to really feel something guys and the movie has had so many jokes that you just can't you cannot climb them that that climax you know you know what i'm saying like instead it's just like oh okay yeah wow that's that's weird sad yeah. yeah no for sure like owen wilson dying is both ridiculous and sad like the, he somehow figures that stuff out in a way that works for me i understand that what you're talking about and i think it's intentionally discordant and hard to know where your emotions are supposed to be this isn't traditional like movies that are trying to drag it out of you but they right. still present things where you're like oh like the, the 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 thing with her angelica houston in the little pod looking out and seeing the coffin that was, for me, this moment of she's never really approved of this. She didn't like the kid in the first place. She kind of left Steve because he had brought him in and on and all of this stuff. And it was the last straw for their relationship. And she's going to go back to Jeff Goldblum. And at the end of it, though, she's she can't even be out there for this. The ceremony's, you know, tough or whatever. And now she's seeing it go down and she's she's seeing it in a way that's like almost like this. De- the detachment wasn't as detached as we thought. And it's, right, right. but, but again, it's like all these interpretations to, mm-hmm. and what it may end up being is nothing. It could be nothing, but that's what his movies do for me is they, they, they get me in ways I don't expect and shouldn't, I shouldn't have any feelings about that. 
This is the goofiest just, thing ever. Why are you even burying him at sea? Like this poor Kentucky, you know, what? The, like the whole idea is so dumb. Yet, yet I'm going, oh, all right. Well, it's kind of poetic. And Steve never seems very broke up about it. He's, no, right, and he's, right. he's still putting Klaus in charge of reading comments at the end. And, well, but yeah, but <laughs> I, I, I like the the following that that scene I was just describing. He puts some random kid on his shoulders and walks down the street mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. looks so stoic the entire time. This is not a victory march. This is not a funeral march. This is just stoic Steve Zissou. And I should have been thinking in that moment, oh, wow. He lost his best friend at the beginning. He lost his new best friend. He lost people in the middle. You know, like he's sad. I should be feeling all of these feelings. But instead, because Steve Zissou is just stoic the whole damn movie, I don't see this as some sort of culmination of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, he, and that's he, like, um... I realize that's kind of Wes Anderson's point. Mm, right. But I, I just feel like, damn it, I... This could have been a great film where I came away feeling something, you know, uh, enhanced mm-hmm. instead of instead of you taking my feelings away. Right. Well, I'm glad he didn't because it, it was it was the truest expression of a character that uh, saw lived his life like an adventurer and saw his life even in his relationships of losing people as part of that adventure. So I kind of. I liked I I liked where his character ended up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's the whole film. He's disconnected and broken. And right. the fact that every other film you'd expect that he'd get some sort of redemption at the end and not be so disjointed and broken or dis. So, what, what was your favorite bit, Ibit? My favorite bit was the uh, the swamp leeches. <laughs> oh, that was so <laughs> good. I'm amazed that nobody, I'm so glad that nobody else picked that so I can say, oh, yeah, uh, it's really funny. It's really funny. I love it because it seemed like protocol. Like he's like, right. all right, that's it. Everybody stop right now. We got to deal with the leeches contingency, basically. Right. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> me. The only one that's covered. Was the only one covered with them. <laughs> it was really funny, and yeah, such a great. throwaway thing. Like he didn't even need to make that, but it added. Right. It added to it in a way that really. Yeah, that's a good one. Good pick. Good call. Yeah. I, but I'm I'm curious if that was Wes Anderson or if that was Bill Murray. Maybe they shot him I, first. Well, I think his I think his uh, <laughs> like the way he delivers the line. It feels like there is a little bit of improv in there. Like oh, everybody, yeah. check yourselves uh, for leeches. Wait, okay, I'm the only one. What's up with that? Right. <laughs> I feel like they might have. I feel like he might have improv that and they adjusted to it because Maybe. yeah, I, I, that is a very Bill Murray. Yeah, oh yeah. And it was a great I don't know. It was just a great little funny moment that I thought was going to be a big deal. Like they could have done the dumb thing, which is do it like, you know, stand by me or something. Oh, everyone's got leeches. Oh shit. Right. We'll spend 5 minutes doing a little slapstick about leech removal. Nope. Just Steve. He's got a couple of them. No big deal. Just pull them off. There's one on your head. You know. <laughs> <laughs> something great about that. Yeah. Put your finger on it. Well, that's awesome. And I don't really, uh, here's the thing. I don't know how they got her. She was just coming off of doing um, uh, the Elf Queen and the, the oh, Lord Kate of the Rings Blanchett. movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, just... it's honestly because uh, Gwyneth Paltrow was not available. He actually had <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow really? seriously in, yeah, in, in mind for that role, which is no surprise being Wes Anderson. Yeah. Um, I'm thrilled and, that they picked her because she's, I yeah, loved her. Well, I loved her plucky accent she decided to, to push. I liked, I mean, she's yes. from England, but. She definitely, you know, went a little further with that accent. 
For sure. Um, but she was perfect. And I love her and think about her all the time. <laughs> <laughs> she's so well, great. All of a sudden got uncomfortable. She's so great. Right. I can't. She's the reason I care about that new Oceans reboot, the Oceans 8 thing. I want to see mm-hmm. her in that. I think she's going to be fantastic. And I don't yeah. think she ages and I don't think it's fair. You know? Yeah. She's my age. She's my age. I look like an old mole on someone's ass. She looks like 20 years ago. I don't know how she does it. And she doesn't look like she's all plugged up with work. You know, I've, I've seen no, recent no, pictures. There's doesn't. no there's no weird pullback or anything strange going on. She just, I don't know, she's born that way. And she was pregnant. Oh, this is a great piece of trivia before we move on. Oh, yeah. um, while being fitted for her pregnancy prosthetic, which involved being wrapped in a full body cast, Kate Blanchett fainted. The actress was rather surprised as uh, by this because she had never fainted before in her life, but learned two days, two three days later, that she was actually pregnant. Oh no! So the pregnant suit made her pregnant. Yeah, yeah, that's how it oh. works. That's how that stuff works. <laughs> well, it's right there in the name. It'll get you pregnant. Right. Yeah, this is really, I think, pretty interesting and funny. That is kind of neat. Anyway, uh, I, I did yeah. like the fact that she was pregnant because it took some of the sexual tension away you know what i mean mm-hmm. it kind of yeah i i it defanged it a little bit it also really? made it well i think what it did is it put it made her um how do you put this like one and in, in one way vulnerable and another way more powerful uh right. it, it made her seem very independent and strong and on the other hand kind of you know close to tears like there's just like a there's something about i always felt this way when my wife was pregnant for three times there's something about her when she was pregnant that just made her oh, tough absolutely. as hell but also super vulnerable and it's a hard thing to define and i think i think that brought that to this so there was always this thing in the back of your mind it's like if this isn't just about a pretty lady trying to talk to a, a washed up burned out old fart this is about a pregnant woman fart. who <laughs> something about the pregnancy added to that in a way that's hard to put in words i don't know i, how to I hear you but you have to see this movie in this movie there's really only two women and they're either everybody's love interest or a baby maker. Like there's Three. not there. What about the script? What about the script lady, the topless script lady? That's what yeah. I'm getting at. Like the, the, this movie, this movie really doesn't care about women. Like they're, they're just, you know, they're, they're incubating a I baby it. or they're, they're, I, I, I disagree. I think that she, I think that they, their roles are maybe not as, Three-dimensional as some of the guys. I don't know. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna argue. I, dis- that. I'm gonna I argue disagree. That I think they're really good. I, I disagree. Think I think they just. Really well I think written. they had as much dimension as anybody else in the movie. Yeah. I don't, there may does have been the, less does of the movie them. Pass, does the movie pass the Bechtel test? No, not does. even close. No. Not oh, even really? Close. Not even huh. close. What's yeah. the Bechtel? The only. Test? The only discussion between two people is Angelica Houston and Kate Blanchett, and they're talking about Steve Zissou. Like that. That's. Mm-hmm. It's not even close. But but again, this is you know like Wes Anderson's. Uh, by Wes Anderson's choosing, watch his movies. It's it's about you know men experiencing goofy things, and he just doesn't you know he doesn't write for women. So hmm. what are you gonna you know, do? I I'm not gonna uh, you know look. It's just like we've talked about this before. I mean, how can you how can you creatively express a woman's emotions in your writing unless you are a woman? I'm not saying that you should neuter your projects because of it. I'm just saying. At at his neutral state, Wes Anderson is going to understand the things that he has experienced, and he's going to be able to write sure. to those strengths. So, does that mean to exclude other people out of your movies? Absolutely not. But to a certain point, you got to go. 
uh, maybe we should have co-writers in some of these. Uh, yeah, well, he's but, he's got a co-writer well, here, but again, not a woman. And like in the case of like, uh, you know, if you look at a Nora Ephron movie or any of the movies she made, those definitely had a unique voice and were unique partly because she had a woman's perspective. And so that stuff really came out in the film and right. and added a whole lot to that sort of thing. And once in a while, you'll have somebody who can kind of cross over like uh, uh, who did uh, Point Break, forgot her name. Uh, yeah, yeah. See, those oh, those kind of movies that Catherine I appreciate Bigelow. because yeah, yeah Catherine they is is fun to see an artist of of a diff, of a different gender or a different race for me to see that how it's expressed and how they see things and how their vision is. But of course, Hollywood is full of white dudes, so we've already seen it a million times, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, of course, we want to see something else. Yeah. But uh, has has a woman ever been accused of? That woman just does not know how to write male characters. Oh, I'm. Oh, yeah, because there aren't there aren't enough examples to you know to to count. (laughs) Like I'm just saying that this film could have had a woman character in the Ned Plimpton spot. It could have had a woman character in the Klaus Daimler spot. Mm. It it didn't. Because Wes Anderson, it never, I'm sure it never crossed Wes Anderson's mind that, you know, that his, his movie was very male oriented. Look, this was 2004. This is the, the idea that the things that we're going through right now, I mean, really, I mean, it's been moving fast. I mean, it's been around, the ideas have been around a long time, but the momentum has really just picked up. Hugely. Yeah. It's hard not to see this stuff through those lenses. It's hard not to, but, but in this particular case. I, I don't think there's anything like uh, I don't see any of this as, as a nefarious attempt by oh, right. no. anybody. I'm not, no. I'm not calling the film misogynist. It's just another. <laughs> it's just another example of uh, lots of dudes and you know the women are afterthoughts. And I mean, it was it was perfectly entertaining. Kate Blanchett did a great job. I'm I'm just saying she's not you know uh, she's not playing one of the important roles. Yeah. Oh, I, you know the, I feel like. I see what you, I, I understand what you're saying. I feel like I think I'm, I'm probably confusing important roles versus important to uh, maybe important to the story versus important to the characters. Because to me, the two women characters in this movie are stronger than all the men uh, and actually end up saving most of them or mm-hmm. at least attempting to save them and so there's a very redemptive quality sure uh, about the women and they seem to be portrayed in a more positive light whereas the men seem a lot more flawed yeah they're a little more broken i i, I mean i don't want this i don't want this movie without kate blanchett and i think she added to it in a way right. that was remarkable but i don't but i don't i think randy's right in the sense that this is you know this isn't a movie about women by any stretch. Oh, no. It's no. a movie about a bunch of dudes. I wouldn't say they're underwritten or afterthoughts. Steve Zissou and his son, right? In the, in yeah. The now, now you want to really mix things up. What if Steve Zissou was approached by somebody claiming to be his daughter? And what would that do? Well, actually, I think it would work in a Wes Anderson movie. Like, that would be right. the right amount of, like, playing against type that would that would resonate. That could have been yeah, interesting. I was, curious. I was curious if Kate Blanchett was not going to come out at some point in time. Because I had actually thought about that. I was like, well, maybe... You know, she's got some kind of beef with him, uh, and she would have been about the same age as Owen. And I was, and when they started getting busy, I was like, "Well, maybe they're gonna blow this wide open." No, we'll hell no, see. they better not. 
Looks like to John Snow this thing. Luke and Leia situation. <laughs> here. I uh, I and also uh, the other thing I should full disclosure here. Kate Blanchett reminds me personality wise of my sister, and she's <sighs> into me. And God. no, I I don't mean in some creepy way. What I mean is she's got that kind of she's got a tough lady thing about her. And so every time I see a Kate Blanchett movie, I think about Wendy and the way she is personality wise. And so I think I give her maybe even more. She's, I mean, she's universally considered a great actress, but I look at her as maybe more than that. I love, I love the fact, and I tried to, I tried to start thinking about this while I was watching. I was like, when, uh, when else have I seen an adventure movie where there is a pregnant woman involved who is also part of the adventure? Now, there's not a lot of hands-on adventure, but everybody's involved with this adventure. And I was, I was trying to remember when that role was played uh, to that point. Can you guys think of a pregnant woman who has been involved in adventure? Do we kind of isolate those and go, no, no? I don't know. I, yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I can't think of one. I mean, this is hard to call an adventure just because it's so weird, but but I know what you it, mean. Yeah, I know right. what you mean. But they're on an adventure, right? Sure. Yeah, they're absolutely on one, whether they right. know it or not. I mean, there were times where I think Steve Zissou didn't even know, you know, I don't, there's times where I wonder what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Like he's just kind of walking around, you know. Like there's really not. Yeah. He, that's the that's the point. Even he does, doesn't know. He yeah. he doesn't know what what's going on. He's like, how did I, how did I go from being so popular and being uh you know the real deal to to being a fraud? Will I ever be great again? Yeah, it's a question that most. Or was he ever great? Uh, like he may never. I, yeah, was I, ever great. I will give you that, man. If you if we're talking about films where. The character is pregnant. A character is pregnant in the movie. It's baby mama, and it's knocked up, and it's uh, nine months. Like well, they're always about the pregnancy. The right. funniest, right? And the funniest two points of pregnancy are when the woman is uh, huge because she's about to give birth, and right. when she finds out she's pregnant. And we get Kate Blanchett in this middle area where. Yeah, I'm pregnant. I'm kind of shown a little bit, but I'm not at, at not at either of the extreme comedic right. points of pregnancy. <laughs> She's nurturing, but it's also not all consuming. Right. It's an interesting state, that's, and I would I would love to see that. that. Yeah, and that's why I'm wondering, Dunaway. I feel like there's got to be an adventure thing where, during the course of the adventure, the heroine finds out that she's pregnant. But I'm trying right, to. I right. can't. I can't figure out what that, that is. That rings really familiar to me as well that I yeah, can't think of what yeah. it is. I wouldn't call Juno an adventure movie by any stretch. I guess Raising Arizona has some action bit. elements, right. but that's the, you know, the the pregnancy is, is it's the opposite of pregnancy, well, right? Right. Well, in, in both cases, the pregnancy is is crucial to the story. And in Kate Blanchett's case, right, in Life Aquatic's case, it's, it's such a side issue, mm-hmm. you know? Right. right. I can't. How many kids does she have? Does anyone know? Kate Blanchett for real life? Yeah. Because they got to be, if she had a kid right around then, that kid's what, 12 now? Right. It's crazy. Scott wants to know all about Kate Blanchett. Yeah, I don't want to get as creepy. Let's get as creepy and as all knowing as we can. (laughs) Well, as long as you're talking about creepy, I've always always had an attraction to pregnant women because I feel like I I, I don't know. It's not like in a gross way. It's more like, Oh, here's a pregnant lady, and 
she seems to be it seems like everything is amped up it's like oh their energy level seems higher there yeah. you know that's what i was saying is, about kim it was always really impressive there's just like right. the, some sturdy it sounds awful sturdy but there's like this <laughs> this this uh everyone says you glow but there is something to that yeah. there's like a i got i got someone else in here too and i'm feeding i'm eating for Hybrid. two and yeah. my feet are killing has, me but sh- oh well i got stuff to do and i don't know she has four children um, mm-hmm. She's Australian, not British. I thought she was British. Born about a month before uh, before us. Yeah, um, that's that sounds right on the age thing. But I thought maybe. she was uh, British. I don't know why I thought that. Okay, once not again, sure. the Australians. What the hell are they doing? Why right, exactly? Yes. How are they able she to produce? All, she people? had all four of her children in her thirties. Starting, she had them all at the same time. Uh, they all have great no, names. Sorry, sorry. Ignatius Martin Upton, Roman Robert Upton, Dashiell John Upton, and Edith Vivian Patricia Upton. I mean, right, it nice. sounds like she actually had Wes Anderson over to name <laughs> her children. I, I I just want to correct that she she had three children all in her thirties. The fourth is adopted. Mm. Um, uh, okay. That's Edith Edith Vivian Patricia. <laughs> and I hope she already knew that. Thanks for reveals. I think she's yeah. like she, to, to me. She is the oh, adopted. She is the today's version of that '40s era, '40s '50s era, um, mega Hollywood star actor kind of vibe, like mm-hmm. just ridiculously demure and well, you know, well spoken and like just this this whole like confidence radiation thing that feels like something that's like a foregone long ago hollywood thing now for all i know in her personal life she kills puppies and eats monkeys i don't know oh, but in real oh. life or in, in 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 her movie portrayals and in her sort of you know what she is outside of whatever her personal life is i i just think she's the best she's i think i feel like that's her i think i feel like she's a genuine she's been married to the same person for 20 years which in hollywood is uh pretty rare uh, unheard of Andrew and her, Upton. Yeah. yeah and he's a screenwriter uh he's really his credits director. are really pathetic like the only credit the only, <laughs> the only meaningful credit he's got is that he was an assistant editor on babe that's well, it dude no, he was if, I, if I he produced carol the movie that she you know was nominated for an academy award for okay a couple years ago. okay after he was married to her for 18 years let me tell you one something. of her movies <laughs> yeah <laughs> great what let a me, credit let me tell you something if i was if i was married to kate blanchett I wouldn't do this podcast. I wouldn't do anything. <laughs> you wouldn't have to work too hard, right? No, yeah, you I wouldn't, wouldn't do manage, squat. You would manage your wife's money. Yeah, I would do whatever she said. Yes, ma'am. What her, her, her right. Thor Ragnarok role is one of the coolest damn things in the history of ever. Oh uh, yeah, she's just awesome, sure. and she's gonna just keep going, and that's great. She should never stop. That's the point. Mm-hmm. Let's play clips. You guys want to hear some yes. clips? Yeah. Oh my gosh, clips! All right, I got some right here. Let's start with this one. Oh wait, I'm still on this page that has this stuff. Hold on, where is it? Oh, it's not working now. Oh, yeah, here we go. Anyway, that's not what we want. Here's what we want. We want Dumbledore coming in. Harry and I were just discussing our financial predicament. I thought it would be nice if the three of us rode out to the party together, just the three of us. What I like about that is he said Harry and I were just talking, and I think that's funny. Yeah, he was actually discussing the financial predicament with Harry Potter. Harry Potter himself. That's right. You know, the one who lived. (laughs) The boy who lived. The boy who lived. Uh, Here's the uh, uh, something about a shark. Well, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go on an overnight drunk, and in 10 days, I'm going to set out to find the shark that ate my friend and destroy it. Anyone that would care to join me is more than welcome. All right. I don't know why that, that feels like it's in backwards order. Isn't that later? 
No, I guess not. Mm, that happened. No. He said it earlier, but then later said, "Hey, you want to go on a ride?" And then they all got in there. That's yeah, yeah the first time is when he's announcing his intentions on the on stage. On stage, right, yeah. right, right. Uh, it's just a great line. I'd love this. It's when he is introducing Dumbledore to his potentially his son. Oh, Sari, this is uh, probably my son Ned. We just met. <laughs> oh, how delightful! This is probably my son. And, and again, every apparently, apparently we can misinterpret every clip that you're going to play. In that scene, he was talking to his iPhone. <laughs> what? Wait, what? Where? Oh, you could say that. Yes. Yeah, you could, but it'd be wrong. But yes, you could say that. Uh, here's the elf queen. Oh, wait, no. Change your name is what I wrote here. Here you go. You think you'll want to change your name? Ned? No, not the Ned part, unless you want to. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so subtle and great. Oh, my gosh. I freaking love it. Oh, I love it. All right. Uh, here's uh, the Elf Queen speaking. When did you learn Zisu with your father? Does it freak you out for me to ask that? No, it doesn't. Oh, my gosh, dude. She's so awesome. <laughs> um, nice Exchange is the title of this 16-second clip. So what happened, in your opinion? What are you talking about? Well, don't you think the public perception of your work has significantly altered in the last five years? That's your first question? I thought this was supposed to be a puff piece. Should we come back to it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that whole exchange is great. Watching the orca back and forth. I know. Visually, yeah. it's just... <laughs> He's just hanging back there. Hey, it's what are you guys so, doing there? It's so smiling. This is a yeah. smiling yeah. whale. Yeah. <laughs> also, they did a tropey thing that turned out not to be the trope, but they had the thing where you're like okay what are these dolphins ever going to be for and it turns out oh they're to look into the window while Kate Blanchett and Owen perv. Wilson are yeah and then he yeah. sees it stops comes back and looks and now they're looking at each other again and then the whole thing's just thrown away I love that yeah. I mean, it was a I mean you didn't even need to make that scene it would have been a complete waste of time to any other director and he's like no there's something here and he did it and it was great Here's something I wrote called Slightly Fake. I thought aspects of it seemed slightly fake. Well, that's just her talking more. I may have focused a lot on her lines. (laughs) (laughs) I can't help it. Wow. Somebody's somebody's writing up a restraining order as we we record this. Well, at the very least, there's about 20 emails coming my way that are all going to be chewing me up for this. All going to be from Andrew Upton. Yeah. Here's a... Get out of my territory. This is my favorite thing she may have said on her own here. Here you go. No one else gives a shit. I love that. No one else (laughs) gives a shit. Uh, uh, What? Oh, this is great. This is a great scene. Here you go. Can you hear the jack whale singing? Beautiful. I wonder what they're saying. Well, that was the sludge tanker over there, but... There you go. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, I love it. Love it. I love it. Um, here's I don't know what this is. Oh, same thing. It does that part. Beautiful. It's just a sledge tanker. Yeah. Cracked me up. Here's a great exchange. I'm going to have to start locking my effing door. It was locked. I kicked it in. Why don't you just curse like other people? Because I'm trying to get out of the habit before I have my f-ing baby. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to use that a lot. Okay. Um, all right. Jeff Goldblum steps in. I'm so pissed. I want to spit. All right. There's that. Okay. I'm so pissed. He just has such a, his cadence. He just can't say all the words. Get him out, man. You know what? I have similar feelings for him that I do at Cape Blanchett. I'm going to be honest. 
So so this is the thing. Don't mm. this isn't all about me being creepy about a lady. I also have the same sort of feelings about any time. Yeah, he can be just as creepy about anybody. Oh yeah. And I love him. <laughs> oh yeah. He should be in everything. It, I freaking love him. It yeah. was odd some of the things that they allowed Bill Murray to use that the some of the the terms they use for uh, uh people with sexual preferences. That were that were used in two thousand four. I was kind of surprised. Oh well, the film the film itself is set in some indeterminate time, <laughs> back a ways, like back fifteen to thirty years before two thousand four. Yeah, sort of. Except when he's in the there's that the kids that are the, the interns. They look like they're right out of nineteen ninety nine or two thousand four. Like they're just they look normal. Like it, it played a, with us that way, you know. There's been a lot of effort put in to make sure you never see any widescreen TVs or just anything that would give you a marker, like newer than like '85, yeah. and it could it could go all the way back to like '65. It feels it feels very specifically placed. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Dunaway, uh, it's your job to do this, so I want to applaud it. But I love how you're always you 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 believe that 2004 was like a hundred years ago. When you talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you guys, this was 2004. Nobody had cars back then. Remember 20, 20-odd four? What an old time it was. It wasn't that Man, long I'll tell ago. You, hey, it is, it's, uh, what, 14 years now? What yeah, is it? that's nothing. Yeah. That's nothing. That's hardly it any is time. It is when you talk about how fast uh, our society has been changing here in the U.S. It, well, it lately, but, but, but if you look at... I think it's... I, I want, this is something uh, separate from the movie, but I think it's important to note this. Stuff really doesn't change that much, especially in modern society. Like the difference between 2004 and now is nothing compared to the same 14, 15 year difference back from like the 60s to the 70s or the 70s to the 80s uh, and beyond. We're, we're crescendoing a little bit like it slows down and it's kind of I don't mean time slows down, but I mean, we're, I disagree. We're not, I think it's not year, that big of an advancement. A, 10 years is a decade and it can change everything. It can, it can, but has it really since so far? That's the reason why we go, that's the reason why we can look at the 50s and go, there's the 50s. And you look at the 60s and goes, there's the 60s. You go to 70s, there's the 70s. They don't look anything alike. Yeah, but tell me how you're making a differentiation between uh, now and the 2004s. Oh, well, lots of it was just in relation to, uh, you know, casting what roles we have uh, for characters, whether, you know, a woman's role would have been larger or more balanced i mean i don't know dude last, i don't think it is all, it's all only that different the, it's only in the last what four or five years that every time you turn on a, a talk show like on a sports show or something where it is it's a diverse group of people it used to just be all white dudes you know, well, that was just five years get, ago when i said used to be i think you need to get further away from a decade to really recognize what made it unique from the other decades yeah, around absolutely. absolutely and i think maybe we're still too close to 2004 that's all i'm to, saying to recognize what made the 2000s different. Because to, to me, the 2000s and the 2010s and on, they, they don't feel any different to me. It's just a different mm-hmm. console cycle, really. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, like 20, 2004, we were about to get Batman Begins. Uh, we had, you know, two Star Wars prequels under our belt. We we're almost to get the third the next year. You got, I don't know, the 2004 is the year of The Incredibles. Uh, we're about to get a sequel to that finally it's like i don't know it, it, to me it's, it's indistinguishable now if you said 94 i would uh, i I would completely mm-hmm. agree but sure. you know cell phones are ubiquitous in 04 like i just don't think it's it's like this far gone so long it, ago it, it, in, in well, hollywood terms 
It is. But I don't I think it is. So much Hollywood can, has changed a lot. How, how? In the last year, yes, because of all this yeah. stuff. And it may feel like right. more, but in, but in what other ways has it changed in your mind? In the last year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, all right, but that's not 14. I mean, you could have said that with any, you could say a band, things are really different than 2013. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so so I, but, I, get, I get what you're saying on that regard, and right. I totally agree with you. Like, this is a sudden, swift change, but I don't think that, if you take the last year out of account and just look at the right. last 13 years, I don't think there's much. Yeah, difference. if you said if you said difference between 2014 and 2004, you're right. I mean, would yeah. not be much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's your point, then I agree. Yeah, the things are right. rapidly changing. But I just think it's funny because you'll always go, "Well, guys, remember this is 2002 or whatever." And I'm like, "Wait a minute, right. it's not that different. This is 2002. It's like uh, movies. They were making movies, and uh, you know." This, what uh, would you play in? What would you play in in two thousand two? Video game wise, I was playing PlayStation two era stuff, so GameCube, PS two. Look at that change! Yeah, it's not that big a change. I was, I, I don't know. I, I was just, uh, <laughs> just yesterday, I was messing around with Call of Duty uh, World War Two. Yeah. And right. uh, in two thousand two, I was playing some Ghost Recon game, and they're really not that different. Yeah. And well, in two thousand two, you're only a year and a half away from Modern Warfare call of duty 4 anyway so actually i was playing call of duty call i was playing call of duty in 2002 we're still playing today like i don't think there's that's my my point i think it's easy to 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 like your life was totally different then so was mine like i was the i started to look at things from like a career perspective all this podcast stuff was 0405 mm -hmm. so if you look at it in that way like this we must be even, like we weren't even oh, podcasting we weren't even podcasting in 2004. Sure, we were. I was. Well, okay, but we weren't podcasting like we know it today. Well, yeah, no, I of mean, course not, because it's evolved and changed, and that's my point. Right. <clears throat> Looking at it from that perspective, you're like, oh, all kinds of change. There was no Facebook then. There was no, you know, there, there all sorts of things like that change. But, like, generally, film-wise, to me, it's indistinguishable. Like, mm. I can't tell the difference between then and now. Because he's made a timeless film. Maybe that's that's the thing. Like we've watched other movies that are even newer than this and gone, wow, that's not holding up. Yeah, he mm -hmm. made a he mm -hmm. made a timeless film by setting it in some, you know, indeterminate past and making it look like uh, making you know, it so. not look like other movies in right. 2004 look. Right. Yes, right, right. I'm mainly just teasing Dunaway because it makes it sound like they're that talkies <laughs> happened in 2004. Like, like, well, ah, do you remember when we got color, you guys? That was a 2004 I, was. I, everything is moving a lot faster, especially in the in entertainment industry. I mean, it's just, well, it's just, you know, mm. fast. and I promise you 20 years from now, you'll look back and go 2015 was very different than tw 2005. But right now, you're too close to it. It, it like change right. happens gradually and you don't see it until you get far away from it. I, I promise you at the time in 1985, 75 didn't seem that different. Mm -hmm. Now we right. look at them and we're like, wow night yeah. and day difference sure yeah, yeah that, and that's the thing right i mean the further like i said the further you get away from that but didn't you feel like if you were in uh 85 i felt like 75 was nine thousand years ago and when i was in 95 i felt like 85 was nine thousand years well ago. because you're a kid though and kid you know as a kid time time seems to go by a lot um a lot faster in comparison to like you know basically saying oh here's what your parents were doing 10 years ago oh my god how archaic yeah i could see that you know I could as see you that. get older the, the the lines start getting blurred and and this is and time is a really interesting concept visually in this movie to me i i didn't bring it up earlier but there was a a point to say that 11 and a half year old 
is where everybody had these, that's where everybody fit in and seemed to be their happiest. So Bill Murray seemed to believe that 11 and a half was the best. Kate Blanchett kind of implied that that was her, you know, her best view or image of his character. Right. Uh, Owen Wilson, that's kind of when his height was. Also, he's carrying the kid, and I'm, I'm guessing he's maybe around, supposed to portray like 11. So at the beginning, when, uh, when they're introducing the characters uh, in, in the original documentary, Bill Murray is going through and listing the different characters and telling their ages. And I'm like, that's not even close because he says, you know, so-and-so is like 30. Like, yeah. it's like William Defoe is like 30. You know, he's obviously like 50 or more. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm like, is that a play because Bill Murray is a liar and everything is near his fantasy? Or is it because it's supposed to be seen from an 11 and a half year olds perspective and to 11 and a half year old, a, you know, a, a 20 year old is old. Like it, when I right, remember when right. I was a little kid, I was like 10 and I'd see somebody who was 22 and I'd think, Oh my gosh, dude, how old yeah, are you? Right, right. And I've even had recently like a kid who's seven or eight. I said, how old do you think I am? And he goes, you're probably like 25 or 30. <laughs> and I, and i and I know he doesn't mean it as a compliment. What he means is right. they don't know how to tell. They just think it's, everything's old. Yeah. It's rain man time. Like it's rain man money. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's a hundred about a hundred dollars. Yeah, well you're said. Right. Well you're said. Right. They're in Rain Man time. I love that. I love wow. that. Wow, Rain Man. Wow, that's a. I I hadn't really thought of it as a metaphor for childhood. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> there, there it is. Remember when you right. cared so much about watching your TV show when it came on every day? Couldn't mm-hmm. wait for Matlock. Was that what it was? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, well, people's court wasn't Matt Wapner, Locke. Judge Wapner, Judge Wapner. Got to watch Wapner. Got to watch Wapner. Yeah, he was. <laughs> that movie's great. We should do that one on the show. All right, here's uh, some of the uh, Jeff <laughs> Goldblum. Definitely should do it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Goldblum talks again. I can tow you as far as Porta Patois. That is such a thing to hear him say, <laughs> isn't it? Such a yeah. Jeff Goldblumism. Porta Patois. Porta Patois. It took me a while. I oh, thought. Yes, I thought it was. Well, um, I, yes. <laughs> I I thought he was saying Port Abattoir. Right. Yeah, that'd and be I was different. like, that's the worst name for a place ever. Yeah, it's pretty it took bad. Me a while. Uh, here's oh, this is good. What the f are you doing in here? I'm gonna keep that forever. That's a great clip, never going away. What the f are you doing in here? Uh, here's the uh, Klaus is the bomb. I wrote. This is a long one, but it's kind of the stuff I love. So here you go. Thanks a lot for not picking me. What? We're smack in the middle of a lightning strike rescue op, Klaus. What's the deal? I'm sick of being on B-Squad. Listen, you may be on B-Squad, but you're the B-Squad leader. Don't you know me and Esteban always thought of you as our baby brother? I've always thought of you two as my dad's. Please don't let anyone make fun of me for saying so. (laughs) (laughs) He's so good. Oh my gosh! I'd do a. Sp- I want a whole spinoff of Klaus. Right, Klaus, the Klaus show. Oh. I actually think a TV show, a Netflix Steve Zizu TV show, would be fantastic. Oh, that's that a brilliant idea. Wow. Yeah, I would love that. A very yeah. self self referential, like, oh, that'd be great. Why not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a great idea. Yeah. And today's the perfect time. If you're going to do it, and, this is now. Right today, exactly. And have it have it be the documentary, Nick. Like not not a continuation of this story, mm-hmm. but like it's Steve Zizou. It is the Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. It's the show that he makes during this movie. Yeah, I love that. Would you get Bill Murray though? What would you have to do? 
Yeah, you get Bill Murray. All right. Well, he's done. Oh, if you could get Bill Murray, you would definitely get. But I'd actually, get yeah, and he's done some Netflix things, so it's like you mm-hmm. know he's already yeah, got contracts. He did that Christmas special and yeah. sure, oh, that's not? true. Why not? Indeed. Here's uh, my final clip, which is a phrase I'd never heard before. So here you go. I have a good excuse. I'm part gay. I'm part gay. <laughs> I, I was trying to remember if that was referenced earlier in the film or something like that. Uh, it was. Yes, it was repeatedly referenced. Yeah. Not you referenced. using that derogatory term to refer to him. It your, was okay. All your right. gay boyfriend. Yeah. Oh, all right. Oh, right, right. I forgot about that. You're oh, right. Oh, okay. You're right. There was some reference to that. I was with him. That was actually, point, and it's actually listed as a trope on TV tropes. Ooh. The trope is called By the Way. Oh. <laughs> The I the way. The way. Okay. You 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 spend the whole movie referencing someone's bisexuality for no reason other than just to establish that they're bisexual. That's fantastic. I love it. Well, also what I love is the checklist. Uh, here's the film sack checklist for uh, this here movie. Uh, Aquamarine jumpsuits for everyone. Check. Got it. Good. That was great. Uh, stop motion uh, selfie was a brilliant idea. S- selfie? Oh, I meant sea life. I wrote selfie. All right. <laughs> that was a stop motion selfie. Yeah, I don't that know. That is a great thing. idea. But yeah. You know, and then I wrote this thing that I forgot I wrote, but Brian just said it, so this is too funny. I wrote, I want a William Defoe Klaus Dal- Dalmer spinoff. Check. I didn't even mm. think you. I didn't even think about that until you just said it. Uh, Star Trek stuff. We are going to give it to Seymour Castle, the character who was played, or sorry, actor who played Esteban De Planter who was the old guy that died from the shark fight. You barely saw him. He was hardly in this movie. Right. Uh, but on TNG, he played Lieutenant Commander Hester Delt in the second season episode of The Child. The child. Was he swallowed whole? He was swallowed whole by the child. No, he was chewed. Oh, he was chewed. <laughs> <laughs> in case you're unsure. How, right. I love how Klaus just cannot catch up to what's going on right, that exactly. entire sequence. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> Uh, he was eaten <laughs> oh oh and it ends with the it ends with the first thing in the movie that makes you realize that things are are not not real uh he's got hydrogen psychosis the crazy eye yeah yeah <laughs> and they zoom in on his eyes yeah that was great i also forgot we forgot to mention that everybody packs heat in this movie which is really weird oh yeah. they've all got well, a strap on their legs the yeah, they share. share again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those poor interns dragging their rigs around that ship. Oh, man. That was really well done. Um, all right. It's uh, soundtrack grade time. I'd give it an IC for Incredibly Charming. I love it. Uh, it's available via... Uh, so it's it's on all the streaming music services, but you, you're better off getting people's custom playlists where they find the stuff they don't include for streaming on the main soundtracks. Um, super easy to find. Just go search for it. You'll find a playlist and it'll have every single song uh, in order that it was played in the movie and they're all fantastic. It's a great soundtrack. Cool. It's really, really good. The, uh, the bulk of it is David Bowie covers uh, uh, these acoustic performances by Sayo George. In, por- he, in Portuguese all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Say you, say me. Say <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's really good. I liked it a lot. And um, the, the Mother's Boss stuff is fantastic. Uh, super weird, quirky stuff and worth checking out. He also did the soundtrack to Thor Ragnarok, to mention that again. Oh, really? Yeah, which is explains a lot because that thing had kind of a cool retro, um, I don't know what you'd call that, Thor soundtrack. It's a combination of normal cinematic and then weird beats and 
mm-hmm. the occasional. Um, I need to listen to that. It's really good. I think you'd like it. I mean, you've seen the movie, so. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I just didn't remember the music, so hearing the soundtrack separate from that would be great. Fun to go back. All right, it's time for the Twitter post. You guys sum up this movie in 100, damn it, 280 characters or less. <laughs> 100, damn it. Uh, I do that every time. Uh, it's I, just too I much in my head. I think we still should adhere our, our rules to the initial requirements. Oh, look at that. Me. Take that, Twitter. Yeah. Screw you and your I, change. Uh, no, okay. I sorry. I have... I have 268 characters this week. I don't. I can't I don't, follow. I don't need two intros. Link. A hundred characters seconds. are just the title of this film, anyway. So. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. I love long. It's one thing I'm excited about this year's Oscars. There's another one of those that uh, three bil- oh, billboards yeah. outside of Ebbing, Ebbing, Missouri is. So I love yeah. long title movies because I want to yeah. just combine them all and say, you know, put the by the coward Robert Ford on the You're end. Right. Of that. Yes, exactly. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> anyway, let's start this time as always with Randy. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. First you show something weird, then you say something weird, then everyone stares and doesn't react. Now do that 84 more times and you've got a movie. An adorable, rewatchable movie that's really pleasing to white people. (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, they got a, you know, there's some diversity in there. They got the... No, it's kind of a, a South American black diversity guy. that's really pleasing to white people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, Brian Dunaway, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Good movies on film sack. Extremely rare at this depth. Hashtag <laughs> red cap. Nice job. <laughs> nice red cap. I'm going to draw my version of him later. I'm so oh, it's, nice. it's, oh, good. It's burned oh. into my face. I can't not do it. Finally, rounding us out, Brian Ebert. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. If Wes Anderson's film career is a gastropub, this movie is the avocado toast. Oh, kind of it is. is. Really yeah. pleasing to white people. See what I mean? Yeah. See? <laughs> you know, if you go look yes. at pictures, Wes Anderson around this, well, actually any picture of Wes Anderson, that guy is hipster incarnate. Like, yeah, he totally right. is. Yeah. Right. He's, ne- he's never not. He's the original hipster as far as I'm concerned. He's never not hipster. Yeah. If, if he had actually, a clothing line, that would be the slogan on on the uh, on the T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> never not <laughs> hipster. Yeah, combining like the hipsterism and white people pleasing, I actually I'm glad that Portlandia came up because I think it's I, I think there is a kind of comedy here mm-hmm. that is you know like its own little tiny genre. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think of other examples off the top of my head. But well, there's feels... you know the the um the the movies that uh, I can't think of their names now. The Hessen Hessmans. Anyway, about Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I can't think of their name. Hess. Brian, Brian and LaRuca, or whatever her name is, Hess. Yeah. Anyway, is it Brian Hess? No. Whatever it is. They're, they are absolutely recipients of the backdraft that comes from anything Wes Anderson's doing. Like mm-hmm. They are they are yeah. straight up in that. In fact, that, that year you got one of the biggest hits of the year, which was Napoleon Dynamite, and it was very Wes anderson Right, uh, inspired. Definitely. Yeah, they're cut from the same um, tartan cloth or the same yeah. hipster so, trunk blanket cloth. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a good, a good ten or twenty years ago, I would have called these festival films. Does that mean anything to you guys? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Like uh, festival we, films. You yeah, know, like, like like the the here we get Sundance, and there's always a billion of these weird, off kilter, strange movies. It's still true, but it's. I don't know they're more they're they're easier to get now, so maybe they're considered more mainstream. And certainly Wes Anderson's mainstream now, but I don't know. He's mainstream in a weird way. Like he's respected by a broad audience, but it's his movies are still freaking weird. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like nobody's approaching him and saying, "Hey, do you want to do you want to do one of the Spider-Man sequels, Wes Anderson?" He's not that's, doing that. You know, that's funny. While we were, while I was watching the film, I was thinking that, like, making sure to ask us that, like, what film franchise? If Tarantino can do a Star Trek, yeah, what could what could you get Wes Anderson to do, or what would you like to see Wes Anderson do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got one. Okay, did you read the Marvel uh, recent run of um, Hawkeye by chance? Oh right, the um, what was that uh, called? It was it just called yeah, Hawkeye? What, what was the the writer? I mean, it's it's a uh, the art is so Wes Anderson, like yeah, and the, dog, like the fact that it's all you know starts with a whole thing about a dog and yeah, I I, I feel like that would be a really strong thing, but I don't think they ever would do it. But I I loved that series and it felt like he wrote it. I think that no, and that it would. sounds weird. People are hearing this and going, "What Hawkeye? Are you kidding?" <laughs> No, it's it's something special. You should read that series. Yeah, dang it. I, I, I felt I like remember the the name that's always associated with that run of Hawkeye. Yeah, I can't remember. It I either. feel like there was a, a a stumble on the Starsky and Hutch uh, film boot of the franchise, <laughs> and I feel like Wes Anderson could yeah. bring a new a new life back to that with uh, yeah, but that's not, that's too close to the bone. Like I, I I'm trying to take Scott's advice here. And imagine Wes Anderson starting over on the Harry Potter movies or something. Oh my lord! Oh, wow. it's like, right, it's insane. <laughs> no, no, I think I think that's right. I mean, I, my thought is like a, a Mission Impossible heist kind of movie because that's where he excels. Is like these. Yeah, because this is a heist movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for Somewhat. sure. Oh, now and that happens. you know what? That's good. That's a good one. Okay, so he's going to remake the Italian Job, is what you're saying? Sure. Oh my God, that's perfect. a good one. That's a good you're one. Already wearing those bright colored jumpsuits anyway, so yeah. perfect. Or yeah. these these oceans movies, or you know any of those kind of heisty movies, I think would work really well for him. That's mm-hmm. a good one. That's a good pick. I mean, as much and and I mean, I don't want to completely throw it away because actually I would watch a Starsky and Hutch movie directed by Wes Anderson. <laughs> but like you know, franchise films, the ones I'm really sick of, like Trans- Michael Bay, move over. Let's let's see what Wes Anderson does to a Transformers movie. Now, mm-hmm. given all this that- in a vacuum, and let's say there were no money risks on the line, if you just said, hey. Wes Anderson, here's your challenge. You have two years to make us what you envision as a good Transformers movie. I would right. kill people to see that. Yeah, because what weirdness is? Yeah. Oh my gosh! What weirdness? But, uh, what weirdness is that going to turn out to hunt be? Hunt them down and destroy right. them. <laughs> so, so, wait, Matt, Matt Fraction is what I was trying to come up with. Oh, Matt the... Fraction, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Which is name so, alone is Wes Andersony. <laughs> right. Totally. So this yeah. this movie, The Life Aquatic, financially bomb. Yeah, yeah right. Most yeah. of hundred million. Do. Did yeah. not make its money back that it cost to produce. Yeah. Most yeah, of so his who's movies gonna, are Who's like going to hand him the keys to a franchise? No. Well, well it's been, can, he's been can, successful since. Yeah. Right. And right. you see yeah. what happened. He start, he, like a movie like uh, Moonrise Kingdom or Grand Budapest, they, they bring the budget way down. Uh, this movie, I think, probably overpaid the actors. Yeah. Like that's yeah. a, a big part of it. Yeah. And and so he had to become a boutique filmmaker, right? Like you're, you you know, want to work with Wes Anderson, you need to take less money. And he's still getting the, you know, the best cast. So no, and Bill Murray's still up for whatever. He's still like, yeah, I'll come in. I don't care. Whatever you're paying me, it's fine. Like he he was great in um uh, the Fantastic Mr. Fox. One of my favorite characters was his Badger character. He's fantastic in that. No no pun intended. If you guys haven't seen that, you have to see that. It's so good. It oh my good. gosh, you're afraid. It's like this is this is actually it's almost like an answer to one of those questions. Like, what would a Wes Anderson movie look like that's not in the genre he's used to? And animation could could have been thought that way before Fox came out. Sure. Like I would have gone. I, in fact, I remember at the time going, "What really? Wes Anderson's animating something? This is weird." 
It is wondrous, that movie. So good. Oh, my gosh. George Well, yeah, and and with his animated films. I love dogs. The the best thing about Wes Anderson animated films is you don't have to see that ugly mug of Owen Wilson, ever. You just have to hear his voice. He was a he was a coach, a little soccer coach in that, and that was it. But he was yep. but he was like a mouse or oh, something. Oh, I forgot about that. He was, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. And he still had you know Schwartzman's in that, and all the people he always has in there are there. But what a great movie! Love, love that. I would watch that now. I'm going to watch it this weekend. Screw you guys. I'm watching Fantastic Mr. Fox later. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, wow. Here's uh, did we? Yeah, we did it. But let's do the. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's do this. Let's do this. I have this. I have this list here. These are the uh, alternate titles. They were just handed to me in an envelope. Let's see if these are accurate. Uh, first title was almost uh, the movie was almost called The Harry Belafonte because <laughs> you know it's named after him. And this right. and this other one I think is a little too uh, on the nose, but it was almost called Wow. All right, hey, there you go. Uh, <laughs> let's do an email real quick from John Phillips who wrote in to the show saying this. Uh, this is for Filmsack. The one about Catwoman. Not sure if if I told any of you yet, but during the show, what? Not sure if I told any of you yet. Well, anyway, wait, you know, you're telling us now. During the show, you wondered which character has the most appearances on film. Batman has nine, Catwoman with eight. So that's mm-hmm. confirmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, here are the Some list of appearances, uh, the going by first appearance and then onward. Lewis Wilson in 1943, he was the OG. Uh, Robert Lowry in 1949, uh, Adam West in 66. Big chunk, big chunk of time with no Batman. Yeah. Uh, Michael Keaton in '89, Kevin Conroy '92, Val Kilmer in '95, uh, George Clooney in '97, Christian Bale in '05, and Ben Affleck in '16. Now, uh, Catwoman. Oh, yeah, Kevin Conroy, which was a voice only, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's right. From the, from it the doesn't series. include like Will, uh, you know, Lego Batman, Will um, Arnett. Arnett. Oh, or or the, there are other actors who do the voice there of Bat- a bunch. Batman. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, the guy, you know, the guy who's who's Commander Pike in the new Star Trek movies. Um, oh, yeah, Lee Greenwood, Greenwood, Bruce Greenwood. Bruce Greenwood. Mm-hmm. He's a great Batman voice giver in lots of Batman cartoons. So yeah, we're skipping. Yeah, that some. was I was purposely not including the audio Batman or audio Catwoman women. But um, man, I forgot. I didn't realize there were two OG Batman before Adam West. I don't know if you should count those. Well, they were, <laughs> and they and they were also serials. They weren't full features. Sure. So who sure. knows? Well, but they they portrayed them on screen, which I do, which it does count. Oh, I guess yeah. that's true. So we're not going to count. We're taking we're taking Conroy out, even though he's fantastic and we all love him. But we're taking him out. Uh, Catwoman. Yeah, this is this is just a really hard bit of trivia to get right. Yeah, I agree. You have to you have to put these parameters down, and then you have to imagine what characters fit. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. like yeah. it's it's huge. And this, he says, this yeah. doesn't include television appearances, which is why Adam West is there for '66 because that's the movie one. But uh, I did that go to theaters or was that straight to? Well, there was TV? the theater. There was the one film that did go to theaters. Yeah, that's the one I think he's counting. Yeah. yeah, that must be what he's counting. I didn't know it went to theaters though. I wonder if it was just a TV two-hour thing or something. But, no, it went to the theaters, didn't it? You can go yeah, to. Yeah. You could have gone to a theater and you seen that. A, yeah, absolutely. Oh, Wish I was and I just, I just want to say, I'm, I'm pretty sure Lego Batman is my favorite Batman movie. I'm pretty mm. sure. Yeah, people what? love that thing. It, I don't, what? I don't think Randy's alone. I think there are a lot of people who feel that way. 
over the dark night, no, you're crazy and stop it. <laughs> oh, it's just like it's the fucking crazy. It's the voice role that Will Arnett was met, born to play. It's everything about the movie. It's just amazing. It has Kimmy Schmidt. She's you're she's crazy. the irascible. Oh. Or no, what's her what's her thing? The incredible? No, the unstoppable. The unbreakable. 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 <laughs> I couldn't think of the name. These are all like bad action movie names, and I couldn't think of the one that's the right one for him. All right, uh, Ellie Ellie Kemper is the actress's name, but she mm-hmm. needs to just change her name to Kimmy Schmidt. There you go, nailed it. Uh, by the way, the Catwoman actresses include Lee Merriweather in '66, Michelle Pfeiffer in '92, Halle Berry in '04, and Anna Hathaway in '2012. I think they're missing a Catwoman from. Oh, that was the TV show, so that doesn't count. If these are just movies, then that's I guess that's right. Oh, so he's okay. Well, was uh, Kevin Conroy? They did, they did a movie. Yeah, they had an animated okay. film. Okay. But it, right. but it was still a cartoon, so I don't know if it counts. Uh, if we're talking uh, live action, you take him out. Me out. Yeah. I, I will bet you the actual <laughs> list, including everybody who's ever played Batman on TV shows and movies, I'll bet you it's over 25 people. Mm. Yeah. That movie, by the way, I think was Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, it totally was. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, because we're not even counting the, the two actors who play right. Batman and Catwoman on Gotham. Um, what oh, was that, uh, right. no TV. What was the one that focused on the three women, um, Birds of Prey? Oh, yeah, Birds of Prey. I forgot mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, dude. That was a thing, wasn't it? It was a thing. Uh, well, there you go. Thanks for the email. Right. This is great. We love yeah. this kind of stuff. Yeah. John Phillips, send totally. us more. John Phillips, Sousa. Uh, that's not really his Boy. name. <laughs> Boy, Kevin, Kevin Conroy voiced a lot of Batman stuff. Tons of did. Batman. Oh, he is considered the, the your de facto animated voice, even though there's some other decent guys doing it. I think he it's it's like the it's like Mark Hamill's Joker, uh, but on the Batman side, nobody wants anyone but that guy. Feels like a, I I just found one called The Batman versus Dracula. Have you ever heard of this? No. The I'm Batman versus Dracula. The uh, Batman and Bruce Wayne are voiced by reno romano oh yeah reno romano from um everybody goes to reno (laughs) not at all reno williams like there is there is an enormous list of people who have played batman yeah they're yeah if you count all the shows and animated shorts and everything it's ridiculous but um but we appreciate you guys doing the research out there for us so that we can talk about it here on the show do the work for us filmsack at (laughs) gmail.com is the email address to use going to do it for us. By the way, if you'd like to uh, check out the site and see what's going on over there, filmsack.com is the place to go. You can also uh, check us out on Twitter at Filmsack. And while you're at it and you're out there messing around with Google Play, iTunes, or wherever it is you get and listen to your podcast, leave us reviews there. It helps us in lots and lots of ways. That's going to do it for us. Oh, next week. Hold on. Uh, next week is a special uh, watch along for some Steven Seagal thing. Yes, we're going to watch The Perfect Weapon. The Perfect Weapon. And this is newish, right? Are we to right? assume that, that the perfect weapon that is mentioned is Steven Seagal? No, I think the whole movie is The Perfect <laughs> Weapon Against Insomnia. Oh, great. <laughs> great. Or The Perfect Ally in great. Insomnia. So are we doing a watch-along or a sleep-along? What are we doing? <laughs> Something like that. All right. Watch-along, sleep-along. That's next week right here on Film Sack. So check that out. Uh, it's going to do it for us, for me, for Brian, for Brian, and for Randy. We'll, we'll see you next time. Wow. 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 This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Frog Pants Network. Get more shows like this 
at frogpants.com. That mattress, you've got to destroy that mattress. That's not a clip from this movie.